I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. State of the Empire is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. And is brought to you in part by Consequences Sound, the web's foremost source of music, film news, reviews, and insights. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. My name is Julian Glover. I'm an English actor, as you can hear, and I'm appearing on The Nerdy Show. Welcome to State of the Empire, Nerdy Show's Star Wars speculation podcast, where we look for news in Alderaan places. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Doug. Hey, I'm Matt. Hey, I'm Mike. That is Mike Rothman, editor-in-chief of Consequence of Sound, the amazing music and film blog that uh, now also brings you Nerdy Show's State of the Empire. Whoop, whoop. Glad to be on the show. I've been wanting to uh, be on here uh, for a while. I'm a huge Star Wars head or freak or whatever uh, fan. I believe the term is Star Warser. Star Wars. <laughs> Yeah, Mike, welcome back to the show. Last Nerdy Show production you were on was our X-Files show. Was that it? Yeah, which, look at this. Now the new show's uh, coming back. So uh, obviously, you know, I think it's all because of the Nerdy Show. So um, (laughs) it's not Kumail's X-Files files. I think it's all from that one episode with Chris Carter. So Can we we uh, do a podcast about The Rocketeer? Because I really want a sequel to that. Or Dread. Let's do a podcast about Dread. We got Willow. Yeah, we, oh, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got the Willow episode first. Yeah, yeah, when we have our all Willow watch episode. Yeah, that, it's coming down the line. That's going to change everything. Now, I love X-Files Files. I'm just saying he never had Joe Harris and Chris Carter on. Just saying. Uh, so this State of the Empire, well, we got a trailer. We got the trailer. It's been teasers up till now, but we got the official Force Awakens trailer. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be talking about that. And also, we've got an insider scoop. We have some Bothans who came to us with the real deal behind Secret Cinema's Empire Strikes Back event. You, you may remember Secret Cinema. They, they made big news last year when they did their replica of Hill Valley, almost a third scale Hill Valley in London last year. And this is an Empire Strikes Back experience in London this year. I went to the Back to the Future one. It was one of the coolest things I've ever done in my entire life. So I'm really excited to hear from our guys on the inside about what the hell went on. And of course, tons of Star Wars news, Willow Watch, all kinds of stuff to talk about. You got to begin with the trailer. I mean, I yeah. guess that's like that's that's yeah. the thing on everyone's mind. Now we should we should point out we open the blast doors when there's spoilers. I've looked at our notes. This is going to be a pretty spoiler-free episode. There, I'm sure there's going to be some conjecture that we can, mm-hmm. uh, some really deep conjecture we can throw out based on the trailer at some point. Certain shots in that trailer definitely got something that we got to put behind the blast doors at first. All in all, I don't think there's too much to worry about. It will be very clear about when that's happening. So yeah. don't worry, anybody can listen to this show. How did you guys feel about the trailer? I still find it difficult to watch without getting an emotional response, which is really good considering how many times I watched it. Probably <laughs> probably at least 60 times in full, I would think. Wow. It just hit certain beats. Oh, well, I'm sure it was meticulously crafted to do so. Yes, and then I'm, I'm sure gone over a million times to make sure that it did. I love the trailer, despite it actually giving me more reservations about the movie itself which I guess we can get into. You just took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> ah, interesting. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Well, what about you, Mike? 
before we get into the reservations. I had a really weird experience, but I was so obsessed with getting tickets that I actually didn't watch it until like 30, 45 minutes after it premiered. I had probably like sweat stains and everything else and like losing my mind because I had reserved seats for all these different screenings to the Sports Awakens. And then I would lose them because the fucking Fandango would freeze up or something like that. So I was losing it. And then finally, when I got the tickets, which was like 45 minutes after it premiered and two hours after the, you know, the tickets had initially gone on sale. I mean, you know, I, I kind of get angry when everybody's, oh, God, I was crying during this. But like, yeah, I, my eyes were just insanely wide and just going nuts. And just that la- that part where it finally switches and, you know, you see the TIE fighter go down and it's like there were stories and, you know, are they true? And then just like put your hairs up. The new version of Han's theme is whew, so good. Yeah. Oh, it is. I, I imagine JJ doesn't really want to even put much out. So he's making them as sweeping and as emotionally resonating as possible. And some reservations also that I'm kind of a little worried about. About. Well, let's get into it then. I am worried now more so than ever about what I don't like about J.J. Abrams, which is that I find him to be an impressionist and not really much of an original director. Everything is after capturing certain feels that have been done elsewhere. And I don't see anything about this movie that's doing its own thing. He's like a nostalgia illusionist. <laughs> Like, I, I made the mistake of watching the Super 8 trailer the day before the new Force Awakens trailer came uh-huh, out. And uh-huh. it's just like, he nailed the look and feel of what he was going for in Super 8. Yeah. But the actual movie itself did not nail the spiritual feel of it. And what I'm worried is so far we've been presented with just images and nostalgia-inducing lines. Like Han confirming that what happened in the original trilogy was true. And then in the previous trailer, Luke's lines from Return of the Jedi with an extra line added on top. There's nothing new about that. It's just hearkening back. And everything we've seen so far is hearkening back. I hear what you're saying, and I agree with what you're saying, but I have to take point on the reason Han's lines hit me on an emotional point wasn't because it reminded me of the trilogy, but it's because when you first meet Han, the first thing he says is like, oh, ain't no mystical force controls my destiny. It's all a bunch of superstitious nonsense, nothing but a good blaster at your side. And now we flash forward 30 years later, and he goes, it's true. I've seen it. The Jedi, the Force, it's real. And I'm like, that's fucking character. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, if Han was just like, well, Luke, he was kind of a weirdo. You know, like, it, like <laughs> he didn't grow at all. <laughs> like, that'd be one thing. But when you see this old, grizzled Han Solo with this look in his eye, just being like, yeah, I've seen some shit and it's for real. Like, that was a good sign to me. But I do hear what you're saying. I agree, actually. The best thing about the trailer was casting Han in a sort of Obi-Wan role that I would not have expected. Yeah. That this movie's Kenobi bringing them into a greater adventure is Han Solo, not Luke. And in a lot of ways, the trailer reaffirms that Luke is most definitely going to be the very, very end of the film, as we've assumed. Because they haven't shown him in any trailer. They haven't, well, maybe you saw him in the teaser. We're assuming you saw him in the teaser, but like, he's not on the poster. And there's all kinds of crazy fan theories as to why he's not on the poster, which I guess we can get into after we're done talking about the trailer. But um. I do wonder about that, though, with regards to how they're introducing the original characters. And, And I do see marketing wise why this is so nostalgia leaning because there's a million things it's trying to do one which is 
look, I know that those three movies that came out, you know, you know, a few years ago, you can come back. We we just try again. You know, it's almost like the this old commercial that um, that once aired uh, following uh, Gordy the Pig movie, in which the creator actually had to get on the screen and uh, beg the audience to just give him a chance. And I almost feel like subtly by having this nostalgia stuff in there, it's that same sort of Gordy moment where they're like (laughs) Gordy moment. Just come on out. Granted, the only person I've ever known that actually understands that reference is Cap. But the one thing I will say is I do give him a pass on that. However, I do worry in the same sense that your Super 8 reference, I mean, it's just, the example is perfect because the film couldn't capture that magic. The teaser and the trailer and maybe the first 15 minutes of that movie are the best parts. And once it finally becomes, it has to stand the test and be like, oh yeah, this needs to be a film and this needs to stand on its own, it starts suffering tremendously. And so, I, you know, there's elements of that that are, are uh, bothersome. But with that also, I do wonder if each film in this new trilogy is going to have one of the older characters as a main supporting character. So like, know, and Han in this one, Luke in the next one, Lando in the third one. <laughs> please, please, please. Kathleen, please let it be Lando. It's weird that they would set that up unless, you know, the third one is just going to be set up for having all the original characters and being awful because Kyle and Trevor is doing it. But, <laughs> you know, I, I do wonder if that's some sort of mindset that they have here. If there's going to be a nostalgic film that's just rehashing, I hope it's just this one. Colin Trevorrow would not want to take it in a different direction, think that he's taking it the same as the old films, but then it ends up just being something completely different. He doesn't understand the prior films. I, I, I got I got a whole uh, diatribe or like a dissection of Jurassic World, uh, which I uh, which may be fitting for this episode or maybe for a side thing. I have to point out the whole thing about J.J. Abrams doing nostalgia, and he does nostalgia very well, but it, it, most times it feels really shallow. But let's take a look at another sci-fi franchise that has a lot of nostalgia that he actually already did, and that's Star Trek. Like, yeah. you look at Star Trek, I remember the first Star Trek I still enjoy. I love it. Leaving that theater, seeing that for the first time, I remember thinking, wow, that was exciting. That was really well done. I had a lot of fun. Kirk, McCoy, Spock, they all looked the part. Yeah. It didn't really feel authentic, but it was close enough. Close enough on Mark. Maybe on the second movie, they're really going to knock it out of the park. And then the second movie, it was even more different where I'm just like, why does McCoy not sound like McCoy? Kirk is doing an impression of Kirk, but there's nothing happening. Like, it's the same movie repeating itself, and they're just saying these things to each other, but nothing's really happening. And it tries to outsmart you and be like, oh, Khan's doing this, and he's a double cross, and then there's this, and we're reinventing this. And, oh, Khan, original Khan, wasn't big and bad enough, so we gotta make him bigger and badder because that's what people fucking want. You gotta, it's gotta be exciting, but also wink, nudge, nudge to the originals. And that was my worry watching the new trailer. The new trailer looks great, but my worry is that it's going to be super fucking intense and you get these glimpses of like what might be a, a large laser weapon going off or explosions and everything. And I'm like, at the end of the day, is this just going to be a rehash of like New Hope, but bigger and louder? We have Giant Hurtball 3 yeah. on the poster. Which I guess at this point we can refer to it without spoilers because there it is, the thing we've been hiding behind a spoiler wall for all of our prior episodes. Star Killer Base right there yeah. on the poster. Or the giant Pokeball, as uh, Brandon says. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that too. Uh, we have we have a new Tarkin in Hux. We have Phasma, who is like the elite Chrome Stormtrooper, who's who's also part Boba Fett, I'd imagine. I'm sure. And then we have the new Tie Fighters, like First Order Tie Fighters with the red stripe. There's no new crazy design to them. They just put a red stripe on them. <laughs> 
You know, like oh. it's just the same stuff, but it's more intense because these are the, are the elite TIE fighters. And they're bigger. They see two people. But you could also have two people in them. Yeah. <laughs> like, again, bigger, bigger, louder, brighter. And because J.J. Abrams likes the fucking color red, he puts red everywhere. You know, like the alien design from what I've seen did take some steps to have very unique looking things, which is really cool. But nothing about the technology of this movie, despite even being a bigger gap. At least the prequels attempted to look different at the expense of looking like Shrek also. So, I mean, <laughs> in that in that shot where it's a uh, uh, Poe and Finn and um, they're like walking around the X-Wing and there's all the rebels, I'm guessing, or the resistance fighters. Were there any aliens among that group? I oh, just, yeah, there, there, there was yeah. one. Yeah. I, I was going by so fast and I was just like, whatever. I didn't get a good chance to catch anything that looked like an alien. Well, there's that Beastie Boys alien or whatever. Right. Um, like I, I'm, I've seen like that was announced and I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. We'll link to that on this episode's page. It was uh, it's an alien rebel fighter who has some um, Arabish words that what it says license to ill or something like that. Yeah, yeah, license to ill. Yeah, that's amazing. Because the last movie that J.J. Abrams put Beastie Boys reference in that was also a nostalgic trip with Star Trek, and that worked out really well. Yeah, there was, it was sabotage that he wakes up to or something. Like that. I think in the yeah. first one or the second one, I can't remember. It was the first one. The um, sabotage. He was driving the car off a cliff. This trailer, there's been a lot of parodies already, and as I was mentioning, it's been picked apart quite a bit, and there's some stuff that we can share that's not spoilery, but it's very interesting. I want to point everybody out to a great parody trailer, though, called The Binks Awakens. Yeah. It's truly the, the highlight of all the parody trailers so far, with some incredible compositing work, inserting everybody's favorite character, Mr. Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> So you guys know that the scene where Han and Finn and Rey are walking past a big weird red droid and into into what we assume is some kind of temple, yeah, uh, or a market or something. It's, it's Maz's castle, I believe. I don't know what it is, but whatever. It's got flags everywhere. Right, flags. Well, these flags. There's some guys at uh, StarWarsNews.net who are doing God's work, and they are picking apart every fucking frame, and they found some <laughs> interesting shit in there. Yeah, and no one knows if it's Easter eggs. Or if it's actually like stuff we could contextually like build upon. We got two Mandalorian and or Boba Fett related flags. The Mythosaur skull and uh, the wheat symbol that Boba Fett has on his armor plating somewhere. Six pod racer flags, which is the one that throws me off. Because but like specifically for certain racers. Right, which is weird because yeah. that's super specific. Why would they be yeah. there? Aldar Beto, Sebulba, Ark Roos, Anakin's flag. Yeah. Everyone uh, who was at the Boonteev Classic when Anakin won. <laughs> like, they're, they're, like, specifically that one race, that one time on Tatooine, all those years ago, yeah. all, of, all the flags are there. And then uh, two ones that I think are more interesting and probably more contextual, an emblem that was tattooed across Zero the Hut, which is a tattoo that's probably Black Sun related, and uh, the Onaka Gang, both of which tie into the Clone Wars television show. Yeah, actually, uh, Onaka's making his return to Rebels very soon. Yes, but, but sadly nothing from, like, Nokmar Castle or nothing like that. <laughs> yeah, no. No, no emblems of Nakmar, no. Right. Yet, anyway. We'll see when they when they pick through the entire film. There's plenty of unidentified flags on there. Maybe they're just not looking in the right places. <laughs> and we got the new poster, of course, with the, with lots. That's where we saw the, the Starkiller base reveal, mm -hmm. finally. And we believe that Maz, the uh, character voiced by uh, Lapida Nango, whose name I'm probably butchering, is on there. We think that's her, anyway. But weirdly, Drew Struzan, who's done all the indie posters, all the Star Wars posters, and did the poster that was released for Force Awakens for um, D23, the Disney convention, he's not doing this poster. Wait, so this the new one that just came out, he didn't do it? It's not Struzan. Huh, I wonder why. They were very direct and very quick about answering that, too. People asked if it was a Struzan, and, and Disney's, uh, I want his content director of marketing, something like that. He, he responded on Twitter, it is not, so... Now, he was talking a lot of hype about the movie, too. Drew Struzan was like, oh, yeah, it's like one of the best ones. It's got to be like maybe the best Star Wars ever. So I wonder what happened. Is it even illustrated the poster, though? I mean, it looks like it's just digital like shots that are kind of composited together. Yeah, I think it is. 
I mean, which is cool, but I mean, it's, it's, I feel like they should have a, have it drawn, (laughs) like be a little cohesive, especially if you're starting up a whole new franchise. Maybe Disney was like, well, guys, you know, we're we're giving you a lot. We're not going to put our logo in the front of the film. It's just going to be the Lucasfilm logo, which is, that is true, but you got to trust us when it comes to posters. It's got to be Photoshop. I I do think in Death Star 3 is, is actually kind of bugging me even more. (laughs) Like, I mean, they couldn't think of anything else. It just seems so repetitive, even like in theory, like they could have something new and different and unique and we just might not know the hook yet. But I mean, it was already enough in Return of the Jedi. I mean, I understand the bookends sort of argument. It was again, it was the same sort of premise. Like, all right, we got to do this again. Technically, if you go from Return of the Jedi to Force Awakens, the story that has the Death Star to the next story that has something that's like the Death Star 2. Like, it just seems there should be some weight to concern here. (laughs) I I think we all feel that way. It's interesting to me that they've managed to apparently terraform a planet from the inside out so that they could turn an already existing planet into a weapon, which is what it looks like. But that's not what they should follow up. I mean, if you're looking at the entire Star Wars saga overall, there's no super weapons until A New Hope. And then there's a super weapon, and it's bookended by let's defeat the other super weapon once and for all. Great. That, that that makes sense. That's fine. It never felt forced to me. But this no, one, no. I think it's meant to make everybody narrow their eyes a little bit once they realize what they're looking at. From diehard Star Wars fans to casual just entertainment lovers, they might be like, why did you do this again? If, if anything, making it bigger makes it easier to blow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, so it is confirmed that it is a planet that this is now, not just a, an actual station? It's not confirmed, but I'm going to go ahead and say that State of the Empire confirmed. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the, the, the poster, I mean, you can see the trench along the planet and you can see the trench in the trailer. It's true. Actually, the databank thing at StarWars.com does describe Starkiller Base as a planet converted into a stronghold. Wow. And armed with a fiercely destructive new weapon capable of destroying entire star systems. Uh. So they're not holding it back. That's the thing. This movie is being aimed at, it, it doesn't need to win over current fans. It needs to win over people who are just like, I'm, I've am i been out of Star Wars for years. I haven't liked any of them for almost 30 years. And now, now it's been long enough that it doesn't matter that it's technically the next movie sequentially. Because to them, it's four movies ago. It's not one movie ago. It's true. Yeah. It's just a lot of things like that that I worry with this movie. There's been not a lot of fun in the new trailers, like not much at all. I assume BB-8 is there for that. And hopefully there's some good dynamic between like Poe and Finn and, you know, they can be buddies or. I mean, it looks it looks gorgeous. It looks like it's going to be the best shot Star Wars film we've ever seen before. And certainly like there can be some good character moments. We just don't know what they are. I mean, just just even seeing Leia presumably embrace Han in that one shot, like, wow. That was the the standout shot for the trailer for me. Totally. I mean, because we've been wanting a shot of Leia. I mean, we've seen conceptual designs, I think, of Leia. I don't think we've ever... Like maybe we saw the behind the scenes footage, I think. Right. But that, yeah, that was really like the first official sort of look for her. Cap, you and I had, you know, analyzed what the hell that shot meant with them embracing. And it looks as if like, you know, she's finding out of death. But it also, I mean, it could be anything, but it it does make me wonder like, okay, because she is hugging Han. But she has this face as if like something happened, like, you know, it's a loss. Maybe, you know, they haven't spoken for a while. Well, it looks like she's experiencing something in that moment outside of the person she's embracing. I'm just campaigning for the life of of Han. I I know story wise, it makes sense. I just want I I can't I can't handle him dying. I mean, Matt, you showed me that clip of him dying on that that fucking video game years ago and that was enough to like, <laughs> oh, screw up forever i mean it might be because the way he went out in force unleashed like the non-canon dlc was just very abrupt and horrible 
Yeah. You know, and, and I would assume that JJ would just do it much more heroic than like giving them like a, a wash and, you know, serenity moment. I don't know. He did kill Vulcan. Yeah, he, he did wipe an entire planet out of existence that had rich, rich history. So anything is possible. <laughs> you know, and, and, he, and he did it without ceremony. You know what I mean? Like it didn't like by the end of that movie, Spock's happy again. Like, you know, like there's there was no impact to it. And I worry that in order to make it seem like, no, it, things are so much more, you know, the stakes are higher that they're going to do it without any fanfare. You know, they're just going to like look how much more dire things are now. And that's the sort of thing I worry about. What gives me a degree of solace, though, is that Ryan Johnson is a very good director when doing emotions, mm -hmm. when doing just he's just very good in general. And even if, if episode seven is a, a pretty piece of fluff that st sets the stage for something new, the next part of the adventure, I think, will be truly captivating. A little more unique, probably. Yeah. And we, we already know that, that Johnson has some kind of... His influence is already being shown in the way that the universe is expanding in the new continuity. Mm. We'll get into that a little bit more later. But Well, to argue one thing for J.J., which I will say that he does an exceptional job at, which I think we've already kind of hinted at, is that he creates pretty solid characters. Coming into Star Trek, like, granted, you do have preemptive notions of what these characters are going to be, but there's a camaraderie and there's also some sort of chemistry to them that is so addicting and so much fun. And, and you know, even in the beginning, I mean, the first season of Lost, I, you know, I know that he's only, I think what he did, he only produced that. I can't remember if he, if he directed it or not, but I, I, I think he directed the pilot. Yeah. It's so like, but even that, like the first season of Lost, like the, the chemistry between the characters and the characters itself, like they're really rich. And that's, that's what we need because we didn't really have that with the prequels. And that's something that was such a glaring omission. I think that's important. You know, it might not be the greatest. If Ryan Johnson does come in and make a better movie, at least we have awesome characters if he's able to continue. Yeah, yeah. Mission, Mission Impossible 3's villain, Philip Seymour Hoffman, is one of the best villains I've seen in a long time. Right. He, wrote, he wrote that movie. And also Fringe. Fringe had great characters. And, and also a great world built. And he wrote a lot of the first season. He was the you know, you know, co-creator of that as well. So wait, J.J. wrote the script for Mission Impossible 3? He was one of the writers, yes. Okay, because uh, I, I think he's the only listed writer for Super 8. I mean, the kids are great. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was good. It's, but him, him plus another writer seems to be where it really gets really good. And whereas, we've got that. We've yeah, got and we do. It. And we do. With, we, yeah, we do. But with, um, but with uh, Star Trek, he didn't write any of those. He just directed those. Oh, okay. Okay. So uh, I guess that's kind of a good way to think about it. That's definitely a little more, gives, gives me a little bit more hope, I suppose. Not, th not, not that I'm lacking any serious hope. <laughs> I'm just saying it's good to me. But you need a new hope. <laughs> I need a, <laughs> well, again, I don't want to make it sound like the trailer got me bummed out or anything like that. Far from it. It was, it was very exciting, but it was just, like you say, the narrowing of the eyes at, uh, wait, another, another big, big ball of death, you know? Okay, well, you know what? Maybe it's not even complete. Maybe it's just the establishment of something and they're going to reveal it later in the third film. That's the big, big thing they got to stop or something. My problem with a big giant thing that blows up suns is like, okay, well, you could just blow up a planet. That's fine. When you blow up a sun, isn't that a little too much overkill, even for the bad guys? That's, that's how a villainous Reich that has been beaten into a relative obscurity, that's how you reclaim the universe with fear. But if you are a planet and you blow up a star, you're dead. Right, right, right. You do it to a system that doesn't particularly matter too much. Like, let's say one where a bunch of smugglers generally hang out. But if you're, if you're a planet and you are a planet, you need a star. You need a star. Right, right. You blow, you blow up a... This is, this is in a galaxy far, far away. You blow up one solar system 
one relatively obscure solar system. And all, all it takes is the notoriety of that solar system affecting how the rest of the galaxy treats you. But that's, that was the point of the Death Star. All you got to do is blow up a planet and they go, oh shit, that thing can blow up a planet. We better get in line. Right. Fear will keep the systems in line now. Fear right. of the battle station. Right, but th- that was that was an empire that was already doing quite well. They just dissolved the Senate. Yeah, but 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 that's a space station that can move from system to system. This is a planet. <laughs> it has been proposed that that big Pokeball button on the front of the Starkiller base is not the weapon, but is in fact the exhaust port of how it's... But then once it leaves the solar system, every tree on that planet is dead. I'm just trying to make it... It's going to be a big ball of of death and darkness. It's already already an ice world, but I'm just just trying to make this work. (laughs) I don't know. There'll be no sun. How will they see anything? I don't understand. Maybe it teleports the firing. Yeah, it has it has hyperdrive. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that all, all all of this has been done in expanded universe. Planet with a hyperdrive. <laughs> but the expanded universe doesn't count anymore. And even, and then it's like which is why they can rate it for this movie and no one will care. The Empire already was developing like once again, expanded universe, Empire already developed the Sun Crusher, which does exactly what Starkiller Base does. But it was it was a ship and it it blew up a sun and then the entire solar system would blow up. The ship doesn't require a sun to survive. The planet does. Yeah, but then again, in space no one can hear you scream except Han can laugh and, you know, things can go boom. And I mean, I guess we just have to assume that in this galaxy, that as uh, Willie Scott once sang, uh, anything goes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the power to destroy a planet. I can see how a bad guy or a bad empire could use that. The power to destroy a whole solar system by blowing up the star. It's like, aren't you like wasting a lot of materials? I mean, like you oh, blow yeah. You blow up one planet, the other systems in that planet will go, all right, yeah, we'll do what you say. And you have all them under your control. Maybe we're just being assholes. Like, you know, every Metal Gear game, there's just another Metal Gear. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's what we got to expect. Well, the it's, game's called Metal Gear. It's, it's not, gonna be. It's not <laughs> Star Wars isn't called Death Star Part 3. <laughs> Death Star? Maybe that's where they go. I, I think that's what they just have to do is just maybe they, you know, they've re-edited the titles so many times with, you know, it being Star Wars to Star Wars uh, Episode 4 A New Hope. Why don't we just add the death in front of it, you know? Let's death Star Wars. There you <laughs> go. Death Star Wars. Yeah, it's, it's getting there. Mon Mothma, they've made another Death Star. Snake, you got to infiltrate through the air duct. <laughs> It'd be great. If we're analyzing shots, though, and we're looking back, what do you guys think about that shot where she's crying? Because there's been a lot of debate who the hell Ray is crying. We will confront that, but we got to do that when we, we open gotta, the blast doors. That, that, I think we're gonna. You're not gonna hear this part of that part. We got, I don't even want to hint. I don't even want to hint until we open the blast doors because that's a whole other thing. So the trailer it got 16 million views when it was on TV during sports ball, 128 million views online in a day, and uh, ticket sales in several countries saw the biggest advance sales on record. There's lots of crazy like giveaways going on. There's in fact there's one happening here in Orlando where Nerdy Show is based out of happening at what was formerly Downtown Disney, then going over to a special party at Hollywood Studios where they're debuting the new Star Wars fireworks. And uh, oh man, tried to get tickets for that. That website was even deader than Fandango was. It was a bloodbath. Here's a quick question: If a movie has a huge pre-order situation like this, and I buy my ticket on Fandango. Now, I know when I buy my regular movie theater ticket, a percentage of that goes to the movie. That's how it makes money. This early on, has Disney like already made like $30 million? <laughs> I mean, like, have they already broken the box office like, you know, a few months in advance? 
Well, they, they did phrase it as that the movie has already smashed box office records. Yeah. So, yeah, I think Disney is already raking in money. They certainly charged my cards numerous times. I'm not ashamed to admit. <laughs> <laughs> they, I do believe, I mean, it's broken records all across the world already just from pre-sales alone. I, I think IMAX, just IMAX screenings, it's shattered the records there. And I think it pulled in seven or eight million or something like that. I have to go back and look at the numbers, but it, it's pretty intimidating. <laughs> like, what? what, what What's crazy to me is that this movie has what the others that broke, you know, like, you know, well, Jurassic World kind of counts in this too, but basically support from China. Yeah. It was so that, like that was an untapped market until now. And th- and it's going to be huge there too. Okay, okay, so they are gonna, they are going to show it in China. Oh, let me tell you about what they did yesterday, Doug. Five hundred stormtrooper mannequins were placed on the steps of the Zhuyang Guan section of the Great Wall near Beijing for a promotional event where 150 fans hung out in costumes with lightsabers and giant Force Awakens Chinese characters lit up in the night sky. That sounds like really awesome, but I yeah. thought China had like really restrictive rules about what sort of movies can be shown in China. I guess not anymore. Well, yeah, because they, they, recently, they recently showed it in the, uh, the originals in theaters for the very first time. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, and it was previously unreleased there before, right? Yep. Oh, okay. I hope they loved it. Oh, apparently they did because they got all these Stormtrooper outfits <laughs> and they went up, uh, up to the, uh, the Great Wall. I, I know Hollywood's like really, 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 really campaigning to get all their blockbusters in there because they only get, I think there's a, a certain allotment every year that they approve. And I know there were a few this year that didn't get through, but one of them, I mean, obviously with Terminator was the reason why they're actually maybe even dabbling about doing a sequel because that one did like gangbusters there, whereas it fucking flopped here. So it is weird how that is becoming a sort of game changer for how blockbuster films are being made right now. And it's just another huge market for them to embrace. And I'm sure George Lucas right now is probably going like four billion. That was it. Well, maybe I should have asked more. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure he's crying about it, you know, on on his big pillow made of money. Actually, his uh, the the entire it it all went to a foundation, the entire uh, proceeds. He founded a foundation for it. Yeah, he's a good guy. he has, he has redeemed himself. Uncle George. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll have a link to where you can check out all the things that are offered to you. If you can, at this point, if you haven't gotten your day one tickets already, if you can manage to get some, there's all kinds of like weird perks, like exclusive posters. Some theaters are even doing like Star Wars Saturday, Star Wars Sunday, where like for four weeks in a row, you'll get a different thing if you go every weekend. Damn. And not to say the marathons where it'll start at like 5 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Run all the way until like uh, that later that night. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing that either. I'm doing it with uh, Matt Mellis and I are going to do it. So your butts are going to be so sore. (laughs) I'm a little worried because I did the Dark Knight trilogy one, which was such a bad idea because you go right from Dark Knight, which is amazing into Dark Knight Rises, and then you just re- immediately, within a few minutes, just see all the seams. You're just like, ah, no, I was just watching that really good one about 10 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> I'm a little worried that I might be kind of shooting myself in the foot by doing this, but also because I'm you know, going to be looking like wired Nicolas Cage by the end of it. So um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm still debating whether or not I'm going to do it, but the exclusives are awesome. There's that like poster that almost looks like it's from Mondo, like yeah. where Shrey's with BB-8, like with the Star Destroyer. Like I want that so fucking bad. And where are you guys? watching it our tentative plan is we're going to go to the, our, our theaters all in different parts of the world and then come together online i, I we're, doug and i agreed to see it in 2d just like i did 2d also plain jane clean cut presentation we can judge the special effects later well just if it, if it doesn't work in 2d the film doesn't work that's the bottom line just like it should have been the bottom line in a jurassic world if the dinosaurs don't look real then the, the movie doesn't work <laughs> Can I say they work out for America. I saw that I gave that movie a second chance less than a week after seeing it the first time, and the effects already looked dated. 
the second viewing. <laughs> I thought I thought you were gonna be like, I gave it a second chance, and you know what? Yeah. It grew on me. And I was gonna be like, spill, no. you're dead to it's me. Got, it's yeah, gotten worse. <laughs> I I went to go see it in 40x last month to see if the the movement effects would improve it, and while they did do cool things during it, it still got worse. Wow. Uh, Man, 40X can't fix it. Uh, no, fucking nothing can. No, yeah, yeah. 40X made Furious 7, like, fucking movie of the year. <laughs> I was like, that was, that was a great experience. 40X, by the way, if you're not familiar with it, is <laughs> it's a theme park style presentation of a major motion picture that is not D-Box. D-Box is it's like a baby's toy yeah, yeah. compared to what 40X is. <laughs> Look it up. D-Box is, is, is like a recliner. <laughs> it's like a recliner's <laughs> forward, backward, side, side. Let's switch gears a little bit. Let's learn about Secret Cinema. Find out about that. Like, like I said, the Back to the Future Secret Cinema last year was one of the most immersive, craziest things I've ever done in my life. And I did it with a wonderful gentleman named Lawrence Hondrick. Cool dude number one. He, he, he's cool dude number one. He's a longtime friend. And he, he surprised me by taking me to this thing. I didn't even know it was happening. He's just like, just, just wear this kind of outfit and just go to this immersive thing. Now, we have a whole episode where we just describe the Back to the Future experience. I'll link you to that rather than to describe it again on this episode. So check out the links for this episode of State of the Empire. But uh, Lawrence went with his brother Charlie, Charlie Hondrick, who's the, the front man for the awesome band Hamptons. You may have heard them debut one of their new songs in our Call of Cthulhu mystery program radio drama miniseries that we just concluded. So Charlie, frontman for a band, Lawrence, awesome animator. They got together, they did this thing for Empire Strikes Back. Secret Cinema, Empire Strikes Back. It's madness. It sounds so cool. I wanted to go to it. So... Let's get him on the phone. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi. Hey. You had the pleasure of going to Secret Cinema Empire Strikes Back, and we're all super jealous. What can you tell us about that experience? We were told to like dress up. We had a choice of different like outfits we could wear. I mean, yeah. like we had to create the outfits ourselves. There were, I think, like five classes of star wars archetype that you were encouraged to role play as i went as a member of the creative council which was basically kind of like, like jedi row kind of thing uh, i was wearing like lots of layered bathrobes basically but i pulled it off all right <laughs> yeah yeah it was good you could be like a, a politician right you could it was kind of a layout look yeah you know people were walking around in sort of silvery whitey kind of mm -hmm. silky satiny kind of clothes i went as an explorer who was kind of like it's kind of a bit tattooing-y style and it's yeah, sort of a, a little rough around the edges yeah yeah and we were like ushered into this area this zone and then they looked through our bags and uh you know they asked if we had any contraband like you know spice or blaster or so like even the checkpoint was um sort of in character from there we kind of headed into like these uh tunnels which were basically just like a an elaborate queuing system it was basically just standing in line to get in because we needed to kind of wait for our chance to quote unquote board a shuttle I think, mm, yeah that's what we were doing. and then they had us like run because they had their, like there were these sections where you had to run real quick yeah i mean they did a pretty good job like at, at a certain point a guy pops out and he's like they're going to be watchtowers. They're going to be looking for you. The Empire is alerted to our presence. We need to act quickly, and you guys need to keep your heads down. You need to get from this point to this point, and you can't be seen. It was kind of like raising up the seriousness of it a little bit. Yeah. So from there, we like sort of sprinted out into kind of like this warehouse space where we were greeted by a member of the rebel faction based on planet Earth who <laughs> welcomed us back into the fold and told us on no uncertain terms that there was no turning back. This was like the first step towards a better future, which was really great. Apart from there were like, you know, a few hecklers in the crowd. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of... They were really killing the mood. It's like, you know, you can... Yeah, it was funny because they were dealing with the hecklers a little bit. The guy, the rebel guy was like, uh, 
Yeah, that's real funny. Everyone else is laughing, aren't they? And like everyone's like, Ooh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's awkward. Yeah. That's so then they didn't. There really wasn't that many hecklers after that. <laughs> From there, he, he was kind of like, you need to be moving on to sort of the next staging point. You're going to rally at such and such location. Just start running down this corridor. We're start, we're running down this corridor. We're running down the corridor. They're like members of the rebel faction, kind of like. Doesn't go, 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 go. Telling us to go this way and that way. We're, first, we had to leave Earth. So we're running, we're running. We, we pop out into this like much larger warehouse space where we're told that we're going to be boarding a shuttle and it's on its way to another planet. There's like basically stuff going on in two corners of the room. In one corner of the room, there's kind of like this guy talking to like these crowds of people. Oh, yeah. We can just barely overhear him saying. There was a lot of people there as well. Huge crowds. There's a huge crowd. And it was tough to like actually hear what was like what was being said, what was going on. Yeah. And all sort of like there was a guy trying to teach martial arts techniques on one side of the room. He's like, You're gonna need these, you gotta gotta learn how to do this thing, gotta learn how to throw people on the ground and murder them. <laughs> yeah. and, and then there's like on the other side there's this guy basically being like, You gotta talk to the Jawas, something, something, mm-hmm. trade with the Jawas, something, something. Yeah, yeah, Everyone yeah. now now like this is your leader. They like pull some random girl out of the crowd as far as I could tell. She's like, You gotta follow her. And she's like, Okay. Yeah, and she's like, <laughs> you know, reasonably jazzed. I Mm-hmm. They're like, it's time to board the shuttle. Now go. So we all go in and we sit down in what is essentially a, a really interestingly decked out theater space with like a projection of kind of like a like a holographic ship, like mm-hmm. a blockade runner type ship in front of the audience. And we're kind of like sitting there, kind of like, well, what? Everyone's sitting down. Mm-hmm. And like, all of a sudden, it's like sort of the screens of the ship open up. It becomes obvious that we're sort of not sitting in a quote unquote theater. We're sitting in, in sort of a like spaceship. a spaceship. In a spaceship. And yeah. like we're in kind of like the fuselage of the, of the spaceship. Mm-hmm. And like. Is it the Millennium Falcon? No, no, no. It was a blockade runner, dude. Oh, okay. Gosh. Yeah, come you're on. You're right. You're totally right. I'm totally right. Are we really sure? Pretty darn sure, buddy. Pretty <laughs> darn sure. Where it made an appearance. It did later on. Ah, thank you. Yeah. I don't know how to ex- describe it exactly, but kind of imagine it like the curtains of the... Th- you know how like some movie theaters, old-time movie theaters, have like uh, like curtains in front of the screens? And they open before the performance. Basically, that happens. Like, the, the sort of quote-unquote curtains open, but they're basically more like blast doors. And so we start to see the quote-unquote screen, but the screen is meant to be like the windshield of the spaceship. There's, like, sound effects and sort of smoke machines, and all of a sudden we're kind of, like, lifting up over the over sky London. London. Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, really cool, actually, because we're, like, we got there via London, right? And then all of a sudden we're, like, in this spaceship and, like, through the theater screen we're very realistically sort of being given this experience of taking off from London, going out into space, traversing an incredible expanse, and then, like, we hit the first rally point. That's where you saw the Millennium Falcon. That's right. There's there's basically some dogfighting at this rally point going on between Millennium Falcon and a couple of TIE fighters. It's, like, pretty cool, you know? It's like, Millennium Falcon got our backs, It sort of reminded me a little bit of the Star Wars experience. Go through, like, another moment of uh, passing through stars. And we find ourselves dropping down onto Tatooine, dock it most nicely. And then at that point, someone's barking orders. We don't really know what to do. And so a member of the Rebel Faction runs in. The Rebel Faction, by the way, is called Rebel X. A member of Rebel X runs in. He's like, everyone put on your scarves. Everyone put on your scarves. So we all put on our scarves. Mm-hmm. And a couple stormtroopers come out with an Imperial officer. officer. She comes out flanked by a couple of stormtroopers. And they basically like pick out our leader, who's been selected in like the previous uh, section of the maze, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kind of like take her out. She's... <laughs> 
basically been taken out, presumably to be, you know, like tortured or interrogated or whatever. They didn't even ask her any questions. They didn't even ask her any questions. We just like get off of the quote unquote shuttle and we're, no, no, we're not really given any instructions. No, no instructions. We're just kind of find ourselves all, all of a sudden in the middle of sort oh. of like most Eisley. Yeah. And it's like most Eisley here and most Eisley there and most Eisley just about everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And they had the sky was like projected on yeah, the walls. Yeah, we had two suns and... on the suns. Whoa. Well, let me let me stop you there, guys. The the theming prior to this experience, what was that like? Like with the with the corridors and the warehouse and everything. Like how visually intense was the the theming there, and and also the interior of the blockade runner. It kind of all ties very crucially into the setting and how how the sets were dressed. And you know, I think I think there were some things that were done like incredibly incredibly well. And then I think there were like a few things that basically fell really short. By and large, everyone needs to be like the people who organize the event. Obviously, like a lot of love and care and kind of time and energy and effort mm-hmm. went into it. I would say quick answer for Mose Eisley, B plus. Yeah, I give it a B, B plus. And the, everything previous to that, also B, B plus. I'd yeah, say. it's a B. It wasn't, it wasn't the experience that we'd had at um, Back to the Future, where everything was believably immersive, that you felt like you were a part of that world. And that was for a number of reasons, only one of them really being the quality of the set dressing. But again, we'll, we'll kind of get there. Also, there were so many people milling around. It was so, it was so ambitious. Yeah, we'll you know? So yeah. like, we were in Mos Eisley, and the first thing we saw on the left, yeah, there was like this like crazy doctor. This crazy female alien doctor, yeah. like basically torturing this hapless dude who yeah. was like she was covering him in all kinds of yeah. goo and I think she was making him like arch his back backwards so he was like standing on his hands and his legs like backwards and like making him like walk around <clears throat> yeah and she got on top of him and was riding, riding around. around and then she like wrapped his head in like gauze and everyone was laughing at him yeah. and we were all like ah! she was actually one of my favorite parts of the entire night because <laughs> she was she was a wholly believable character from like she like you could totally see her being in like a star wars movie like if they were to flesh out all the backstories of like everyone you saw ever which i of course, they pretty much did in the expanding universe. But you, you know what I mean? She seems like she she really could have belonged. That she's like some sort of like crazy backwoods doctor that like you go to if you've had some sort of scuffle with some less than lawful group and you don't want to like have a high profile. You go and you see this absolutely lunatic doctor she was who crazy. might fix you up or she might steal all your organs. Yeah, kind of yeah. Um, <laughs> so we were wandering around and I, was, and I was like, okay, well, let's get a drink. Is there uh, any, any blue like, milk to be found? <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, but they had what, what, what was the what were the drinks? Do you remember? Uh, it doesn't matter. It was like space tonic. Yeah, space tonic. So you're and in you Moss Eisley, you know. and there's no blue milk to be found anywhere. No, and this no. is this is well, this is we'll kind of get we'll get to this. There was food though. There was food, but it was yeah. it was it was entirely terrestrial. So, so we're we're kind of hanging out in Moss Eisley, and, um, and now we're like, let's get down to business. Yeah, we're what like, is going on? What are we supposed to be doing? Yeah, something about Jawas. We're in the know. middle of it. Are you seeing that there's Jawas around? Jawas. Oh, and then Han Solo walked by, and I was like, oh my god, oh my, oh god. my god, oh my god, it's Han Solo. Ah. And then I was like, maybe we should follow Han Solo, but we couldn't because it was just like so, so crowded, cool. and yeah. it was like in the court, and everything was so claustrophobic. All the corridors were so narrow; you basically couldn't really navigate quickly. So, but I believe the houses were made of adobe. They were, yes. So we're basically just for about an hour, just kind of trying to figure out what we're supposed to be doing, and yeah. we can't really find anyone to tell no, us what to do. Really. At a certain point, we kind of get a sense that what we're supposed to be doing is finding something valuable and yeah, trading with the jobs. Yeah, we, we, we see we see like <coughs> other people kind of have figured it out for. Mm-hmm. People are trading, they're yeah. talking to Jawas. Everyone's handing around these little packets of mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. We're like, what, what are those little packets? They're like, oh, these are packets of spice. And, so, like, and like, you know, packets so, of spice? And, like, and some people are like, yeah, you get them for jewels. You get them for jewels, you got to trade them with some people for jewels. And the Jawas, they give you, you know, they might give you spice, they might give you 
jewels okay. and I was like, yeah. Oh. So we're like, oh, we gotta, we gotta find some some spice. <clears throat> we gotta find some jewels. We're, yeah, we're gonna find these things. Everyone's going as like a senator and uh, a governor, <laughs> and you're doing yeah. trading. <laughs> like, are you sure this yeah. is the Empire Strikes Back uh, <laughs> secret cinema and not like the Attack of the Clones secret cinema? <laughs> It's a little bit, yeah, it's a little bit, like, bizarrely political. So we're just milling around. We're trying to find, and then, like... Oh, that's how Luke walked by. I was like, ah, and the guy looked like Luke. And I was like, Luke! (laughs) Yeah, and to be fair, yeah, we did sort of walk by, like, the moisture farm. And, uh, like, we peeked inside. We saw, like, Aunt Peru, and she looked the part. We couldn't talk to her because she was just, like, mobbed by people. We just couldn't really get to her. Yeah, she was, like, a celebrity. Yeah, we saw Uncle Owen. I saw Uncle Owen. (laughs) (laughs) Aunt Peru and Uncle Owen mobbed by the fucking paparazzi. (laughs) And uh, Uncle Owen was, like, talking to Luke as well. They were kind of going through the whole thing. He's like, oh, I gotta go to the the power station. I didn't even actually see that. We we separated briefly. Yeah, we did. We kept on kind of getting slightly, yeah, separated because it was just hard to follow anyone that was the thing we were, we were supposed to meet back at this the land speeder the land speeder yeah we got <coughs> separated but the land speeder as we found out later kept on moving yeah. <laughs> it was basically like and so like at a certain point charlie and i got separated and we we're just like what the heck yeah i was like i went to where the land speeder was and, and i went it, to where the land speeder is yeah and i was like yeah. where is he where yeah. wait where's the land speeder? it was all very anyway so we we see this this like line and we see like one of the guys who's like been uh, who's identified himself as like one of the ringleaders of rebel x kind of like look, peering at him he's like oh well we can't really find anything else let's just go let's just like wait in line here and let's let's finally let's get in here eventually so like we wait in line for a little while and eventually like the door opens up and we kind of mill in and there's really nothing going on there's really nothing there's going not on. that many people except, in this I, one. except i see in like the corner there's like this pirate's treasure chest yeah and people are like opening the pirate's treasure chest and just like taking stuff i'm like what so i like go over there and like i noticed that the pirate's treasure chest is basically just filled with these like little envelopes these little paper packets that i've seen everyone passing around so i'm like can we just take these wait someone was it envelopes or jewels? I remember there was but jewels. No, there were jewels too. But okay. so I pick up like a handful of these packets, which are basically they're spice packets. Like yeah. And, and then and then Charlie's like, also there's some jewels over there. I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. So we go over to this like bird bath that's like filled with jewels. Yeah. And I basically fill my little Jedi robe pockets with like jewels. Yeah. And then like we like leave the place and we're like, wait a second, is that? Is this meant to be Obi-Wan? Yeah. Did we just, like, rip off we Obi-Wan? We totally stole all the jewels from Obi-Wan's house. We stole all of Obi-Wan's jewels and spice? It just seemed a little, like, why did we just why did we steal, steal... What part of the movie would, did why we steal, did we steal all of Obi-Wan's And you didn't even know why you were doing it. <laughs> we're like, well, we got to go find some Jawas. Yeah, let's go to get some Jawas. So, like, I go to the Jawas, and I'm like, hey, buddy. It's like, he's like... Yeah, and I'm like, how about these? And he's like, he's basically like, blah, blah, blah. Basically, like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to take these. And yeah, he did his little hand wave thing, and I'm like, ah, oh, ah. Oh. And so I'm like, well, what you He wouldn't do? take the spice, so I, I gave him some. I gave him some jewels. Did you give him some jewels? Did he give you anything? He gave me some spice. He gave me more spice. So we got all this. One spice. We got, I could get all this spice. <laughs> and like at this point, like I'm also noticing there's like the Rebel X ringleaders we've seen. They're like walking around with like arms full of spice, like all these spices. Like here you go, Jawas. We got all this spice for you. And I'm yeah, like, is the is the Rebel? Are the Rebels basically like big time drug dealers? They're funding their movement. With like drugs, yeah, and spice is like some devious stuff. Like I don't know if that would fit in, if that like fits into the canon. Like I don't know if Princess Leia would like approve of that. I, I think mean, it was a nod to Dune. I mean, I thought. Well, yeah, yeah, fundamentally. But anyway, so we're like, I'm so confused. Let's just go find the cantina, right? That's got to be the place. Right? Well, That's remember because we were like, well, who can we talk to? And this is the Empire Strikes Back somehow, which I still can't get. Why didn't they play a New Hope? <laughs> 
And we were like, we don't know what to do. Yeah, what, what do we do with like, this spice and these do? jewels? Yeah, she's like, go to the cantina. Yeah, she's like, go, go, yeah, go to the cantina. Go, go to the cantina, find Luna. We're like, okay, okay, Luna. Okay, Luna. All right, yeah. this sounds good. Okay. So we like go to the cantina, right? Oh, we asked the bar. Oh, and that was one of the one of the. This is a really great moment. Yeah, right? yeah that was. Do a you want to tell me? You want to tell me your version of it, and then I'll tell you mine. Okay, okay. So like, I went to the can. We went into the cantina, right? I'm looking around for Luna. She's got like a like a like a thing on her forehead. Yeah, she's right? a tattoo on her head. Yeah, yeah. I bumped into some people who were clearly like supposed to be in the cantina. And I was like, "Do you know where Luna is?" They're like, "Ask the bartender." So I like go over to the bar and I like lean over the bar and I like look and it's like it's the exact replica of the bar. Uh, yeah, from A New Hope. Yeah, and the, so then Charlie leans back. He's like, "Dude, lean into the bar." <laughs> and I like lean into the bar. And it's exactly right. Like, in that moment, I was utterly transported. No yeah. matter what bad things I will say, mm. like, towards the end of this, like, sprawling diatribe we're laying on you. Uh-huh. Like, uh, in that mm. moment, I was in Star Wars. And so much so that I, like, leaned in and I looked down the bar and there was, like, a dude with white eyes. Like, he was wearing contacts. <laughs> and he was, like, burning a hole in me. Ugh. Like, how dare you look at me? And I, like, got off the bar. I don't know. He's literally going to kill me and no one here will care. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I had like goosebumps and I was like feeling nauseous and yeah. I had to go to the bathroom. It was a little, it was a little intimidating. It was great. And that was like, that was for me probably the greatest moment of the entire night. Yeah. In the cantina, there was also, uh, there was also a band. There was a band playing, but they weren't, you know, they, they were, were Star Wars type yeah, music. It was, but it was human band. It wasn't, it wasn't, I forget the name of the band. It wasn't the band. Ah, uh, no figuring Dan in the model nodes. Yeah, model nodes. There you go. Some hot jizz up in that joint. <laughs> yeah, some hot jizz. Yeah, there, yeah, there was an Aqualish. Dancer. Dancer dancing to the band that was, uh, you know, passable. Singer was amazing. Singer was really good. Mm. Uh, but, but So we're looking for Luna. Could, just basically can't find Luna. Can't find Luna, can't anywhere. Find Luna anywhere. Oh, and then I see Luke walking by. Yeah. And I go, and I'm like, Luke. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, I was like, oh my God. And then I was like, uh, uh, <laughs> Charlie here. Like, <laughs> introduced to myself. Just like shook head. Yeah, I was like, Charlie here. Uh, and I was like, um, looking for Luna. You know where Luna is? He's like, yeah, she's over. You know, she's over there. And I was like, oh, okay. Good so recovery. Like, <laughs> and then basically, I was like, you know what? We just need to follow like Luke. I bet you if we just if we can just manage to follow because we've tried before to like follow these people, just haven't been able to. But I was like, let's just really try to follow. So we're trying to follow Luke, and then it's like I, I, I lose sight of Luke, but I see. But basically, in the course of it, I lose sight of Lawrence. Yeah, I like one of the Rebel X leaders who's like been identified at several points here, kind of just starts like being like, gotta get down, gotta get down, they're coming, gotta get in here. And I'm like, oh gosh, okay, I get in here, I get into this like little tiny hut and I don't even know what's going on, presumably some drug deal. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, like all these stormtroopers burst in and, 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 and an officer and he's like, oh, you guys are all gonna go in the clink. And we're all getting all like stall, all scared. And I'm like, I gotta run away. I like run away. Chewbacca, I see Chewbacca. Chewbacca starts busting in the room, starts like causing <laughs> havoc. And he's like, Rawr! and he just kind of like takes off in this direction. I'm like, I gotta follow Chewbacca. So I'm like running after Chewbacca. I'm like knocking people out of the way. Cause I'm like, I gotta see whatever's gonna be happening with Chewbacca. And I'm like following Chewbacca. And like, and then I see like Han and they're like running up this stairway. and there's this like laser light show where like red laser beams are coming out of something or other and i like, basically realize it's basically like han and chewie and luke and obi-wan they're all getting to the millennium falcon so they can like get out of most sizely and they like basically get out of most sizely and all like basically a whole bunch of officers and stormtroopers are shooting at them and then there's like this loud sound effect it's presumably like you know they basically disappear behind a door and like there's a loud sound effect which is like the millennium falcon has just taken off and you're like oh wow i just saw that moment okay so that's well, what i saw yeah well meanwhile i found luna right 
So I was like, and I had all this spice and these jewels, and I was like, look, uh, hey, Lulu. and I was like, me and my brother, we need, we need, because uh, someone had said that like we needed to get, like we needed tickets, we needed transport tickets, and I was like, okay, what, what do you got? And she's like, well, you know, I got a transport ticket. I was like, I need two. She's like, well, how much spice you got? And I was like, I got four, like four packets of spice and some jewels. And she's like, well, mm, all right, I'll take them. I'll take them. I got two tickets right here. Um, I got two tickets to Alderaan. And I was like, Alderaan. She's like, you got to get to Alderaan. This is the last transport to Alderaan. And I was like, oh, well, okay. And she gave me the tickets. And, like, I saw a lot of people getting on the, on the like, the transport to Alderaan. I was like. Dead. Dead, all of them. Like, you, sh- you got anything for best spin? Or, uh... Yeah, no. So I was like, okay. So I ran and got Lawrence, right? We missed the transport to Alderaan. Yeah. We missed it. We missed it, uh, and then what? Then we were so like, we just, but we got on a transport. We got on a. It was a, a method of transport. It was like what, what do you call it? like a, a horizontal wipe, and then we were up on the next. <laughs> <laughs> and so all of a sudden, we're in the middle of what I can only describe as like the industrial hell. It, it seemed like it must have at some point, you know, in the real world, in non-secret cinema world, been like a steel factory or something. Some kind of yeah, some kind very of. strange, very interesting place. Like a lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of like AC, a lot of duct work. Yeah, like a lot of ducts. Tons, but it was. It was a huge, huge area. Ducktopia. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we, we like show up in this like industrial wasteland, and I look to someone who appears to know what's going on. I'm like, "Are we on Alderaan?" And they're like, "Alderaan is no more." <laughs> yeah, they're like, "Alderaan's destroyed. Where were you?" And I was like, "Oh, oh I should have known." Yeah. Did they just like kill all the people who were yeah, on that transport? Yeah, all those people are dead. So all of a sudden, we're on like the Death Star. We're like, "Oh, we're on the Death Star." We like look up. And there's like this gigantic screen, and it's like it's going mirror, mirror. Yeah, and it's like it's basically showing the wreckage and debris and detritus, which was once you know Alderaan, and it's mm-hmm. got like all the graphical layouts of planetary destruction. Yeah, and the Death Star is like yeah. Anyway, so I guess all of a sudden, I suppose we're on the Death Star. We're mm-hmm. like, well, what do we do now? We're just like kind of walking around. We're like, we got to find someone. We got to find something. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, we see like another one of the the Rebel X leaders again, and and he, he's I'm like, hey guy, can we help? He's like, yeah, yeah, come with me, come with me. So we like follow him, follow him, and all of a sudden, like Princess Leia comes out of nowhere, like, hey, it's she, Princess Leia. Yeah, 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 and she's been rescued by some other people. Well, yeah. Somewhere out there. Somewhere I don't else. know what's going on exactly, but yeah. all of a sudden, Princess Leia there, she's getting shepherded out of the Death Star, I suppose, by this Rebel X faction. And I'll get to that in a moment. One of the Rebel X leaders, he's like, he's gotten Princess Leia out of there. And he's like, well, you know, Tarkin's going to be giving a speech about, like, the Death Star. And you need to go and you need to listen to a speech and any kind of information you can get, you need to remember it. Yeah. Because you're going to be debriefed later. And, like, any any detail, no matter how seemingly insignificant, could be crucial. I'm, you know, paraphrasing, but it's something like that. Mm. So we're just, like, we basically go down. Go Long down. corridors. Yeah, lots of people passing by. I see. I see. You kind of get a sense that maybe some stuff is going on and, like, some yeah. cool stuff is happening. And, you and you're, you're missing catch, it. You can never catch it. It's always someplace it's, else. It's always these, like, these scenes that are happening. They're so far apart. They're like, so far away. Yeah. And, and, and it's so hard to get anywhere because of like the physical layout. It's very maze-like. Yeah. We finally get down to the floor and like Tark comes out. And he like gives a rousing little speech about how this is now the supreme power in the universe. And, yeah, it kind of made sense. Yeah. I kind of thought maybe I should join the Empire. Yeah, I was like, wow, these guys are definitely going to win. They just blew up Alderaan. Yeah. And like, uh, <laughs> I was actually thinking at a certain point, like, if I'm really like role-playing here, like, I, uh, you know what would be kind of cool? It's to just sabotage. Yeah, it's to sabotage the rebellion and just like go up to the first like uniformed officer I see and just be like hey there's this band called Rebel X that have infiltrated the Death Star 
there are people on the floor. I can point them out. <laughs> yeah, oh, anyway, so like he gives us a whole little speech. And then from there, it's basically just like a procession of events which you recognize from the third act of A New Hope. So like all of a sudden you see on the back far wall, like spotlight comes on or something, some equivalent. And you see like Obi-Wan kind of like shimmying up some pipes and like powering down some generators going like, Boo! oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is great. And then like you see some like Han Solo like and Chewbacca like chasing the stormtroopers and they get chased away yeah you know? then they chase, get chased back you know the classic moments then all of a sudden this like the, the conflict the conflict oh, between yeah, old obi-wan and, and darth vader they have their lightsaber battle and then all of a sudden it's like all of a sudden like out of nowhere hmm. was, um, so tell me if i'm missing something charlie but i think the next thing i remember is an x-wing full yeah. size drops out from the sky yeah <laughs> and the sides of like the steel mill get like projected on like you get like basically like trench run graphics projected on the sides yep. of this enormous cavernous space and it's like you're at the foot of the trench traveling with the x-wing and jesus kind of getting closer and closer and it like lets lets off this little bomb Torpedoes. torpedo thing and it like goes down the ventilation shaft and then you know presumably we all blow up at that point yeah we would all blow up and uh <laughs> and then and everyone cheers, and it's like this big triumphal moment, you know. And then, like the the X wing kind of is lowered down. Yeah, lowered down. There's some smoke. There's some smoke coming out. It's all like laser lights, and we're like, "Oh, I'm in space!" Yeah. And Luke hops out. Luke hops out. Runs around the side. Everyone's giving him, you know, hey, high fives. Yeah. And then, and then we all kind of line up on either side of the. Every, like basically, we part like the Red Seas at the hands of Moses, and yeah, the fanfare begins to play, and uh, you know, like Han and Luke and Chewie, like come through the middle and and they kind of get their medals and it's, yeah and everyone's know, going yeah yeah it's really excited yeah. and then we all like shake hands like everyone's like and now everyone continue this way you know and we all go and we're like shaking hands with han and luke and mm-hmm. you know chewbacca and charlie like gives a handful of spice to some guy oh yeah some i was like <laughs> yeah i was like, like i don't know what to do with this and yeah like, you take you. it you'll know what to do with yeah, it yeah and uh and then and then all of a sudden we sit we're ushered to our seats and we sit down and we watch the empire strikes back so i guess that's like <laughs> the, the new version yeah it was was not the original theatrical edition disappointingly but um so that's what happened i've been having been to the back to the future secret cinema i kind of see it through the lens of that experience like i I see back to the future as the yardstick by which i measured this one Mm. because they're two films very dear to my heart like empire strikes back by far being my favorite Mm -hmm. but i can't help but compare one to the other however you were kind of going there with fresh eyes being like a big time empire strikes back fan who hadn't been to any other secret cinemas and i think maybe you might have the more objective opinion of the experience as an experience. Well, yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah, I think it did some things really well, and then did some other things, like, maybe could have been done a little better, you know? One of the things I actually I did like is that they just sort of dropped you in Mos Eisley, and you had to figure it out yourself. But um, it was interesting from that perspective. And then, like, again, like we said, I felt like there was a lot that we missed out on. Before we uh, were fully able to, like, figure everything out, like, just as we kind of figured everything out... It was like on to the next act. Yeah. You know, so it was sort of, you know, it was good. It was good. It was closest and minuses. Also, there was that, that, that cantina. That the cantina was great. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I think, like, again, yeah, totally some beautiful, excellent, fantastic moments that took me right there. The cantina was a mind blower. And when the X Wing dropped down, I was just like, whoa, whoa there's an X Wing. But as I said, there, there are some things that they really fell short on. I think, like, the biggest thing for me was a lack of immersion. For me, it was a really spectacular experience. It was a spectacular spectacle, but it was a spectacle rather than something that I lived. It was something that I watched. There were like a lot of reasons for this. And I, the first one probably is like the sets and location. First of all, like the layout, everything's sort of being so cramped. Like with 
Back to the Future, everything was really, really open. It was kind of set around a town square, and you could really get places pretty quickly, and you weren't really restricted by the terrain. And the crowds, even though they were dense, they weren't restricted because there were always, like, throughways and passages that were open. You could always find an opening. Whereas, like, if you wanted to get someplace in a hurry in Mos Eisley or the Death Star, you couldn't. And, like, if you heard, like, a ruckus going on someplace, by the time you got there, that thing would be done. Or there'd be so many people around it. Yeah. Because we... There was and there were so many people. I feel like if there had been half as many people, it would have been a much be easier cool, yeah. experience to enjoy. There were, there were some scenes that happened that we didn't mention. Yeah. There was a scene, for instance, where they picked someone out of the crowd and, like, a couple of stormtroopers and an officer was basically being, you need to tell us what you know, otherwise we're going to execute you on the spot. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then what I didn't like was the sort of deus ex machina is that all of a sudden a whole bunch of Jedi's, Jedi yeah. come out of the crowd. What? And, no. And like the Jedi mind trick them to like kind of just stand down and go away. And I'm like, what is going on? There's three more Jedi just hanging out on oh. Tatooine. Like they're members of the Rebel, <laughs> Rebel X. I, so like, and it, this is kind of taps into kind of like a broader thing of things that I felt weren't faithful to the film, like literally in that case and also tonally. So like, for instance, the rebellion in the films is very dignified. They're like the equivalent of those guys who you see protesting in the 1950s and 60s who show up in like a nice suit. Like they're like marching in their nice suit. And you're like, whoa, those guys mean business. <laughs> Whereas like the ones who you saw. They were kind of scummy, kind of, what, what do you call it? Like a. You, you know Amanda Plummer's character in Pulp Fiction, Honey Bunny? The one who's like, I'm going to execute every motherfucking last one of you. You know that? Yeah, that yeah, one? yeah. Basically, like the main guy who we ran into the most was essentially that they did remind me of like the occupy london yeah like, character like ones that i've met it's possible that what they were trying to do was trying to be like well what's the london version of the rebellion Ooh, but the for me, it was totally so inaccurate they were all kind of like running around like frothing in the mouth acting like complete lunatics totally yeah. undignified and you guys were clearly the good guys because you had the non-british accents that's what i was just <laughs> gonna say a lot of the rebels had british accents and it was a little confusing yeah <laughs> uh, like probably for me the biggest thing was the Total anonymity of the experience. Cap, I'm sure you'll remember that, like, basically by the time we even got to the main set of, like, Back to the Future, you'd already been accosted numerous times by people asking you who you were, what you were doing there, you know, who your father was, whatever, right? Whether you remembered what they gave you or not, you were forced to become a character. It's totally true. You were absolutely forced to. And it was, like, this incredible experience where over the course of the day, you really got a sense of who your character was and how you fit into the community. You know, I pretty much rocked up at um, Star Wars kind of like with kind of like a, a, a vague sort of backstory and a name in mind. And I was like, I can't wait to flesh this out. And over the course of the entire evening, I was not approached once, nor was Charlie, I don't think. No. Nope. By a single like actor or anyone who was at all interested in who we were or why we were there or what we were doing. And I thought that was like, they really fell short. It's possible that was happening in places, mm -hmm. but I didn't really get a sense that it was. There didn't seem to be a whole lot of effort to make the people feel like they were a part of the world. I think they probably put a comparable amount of effort into building these sets as they did into building the set of Hill Valley, which is an incredible set. But I feel like it's not really enough because when you're building Hill Valley, basically you're like scouring antique shops and thrift shops and you're kind of like building basically like tool shed size sheds and like populating all this stuff. If you build Moss Eisley, you need to build like, it's so much more. It's like such a more ambitious undertaking. Everything needs to be built from scratch. And while they did like a good job, it didn't 100% sell it. With the exception of the Cantina moment, I never felt like I was part of that universe. And I know that it's a lot to ask of someone to make you feel like you're part of that universe. But 
you know, everything I'm saying, it might seem like the night wasn't a good one for me. That's absolutely not true. It was a good night for me, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. It, and it wasn't really a disappointment, you know. It just, it just was kind of like, eh, you know, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad night. It wasn't like the best night of my life. I think it's just suffered from that classic Star Wars thing where you walk in yeah. like hoping it's going to be the best thing ever. Right? And I don't know about you, but if I went there, especially if I traveled to London from. America, as one of our listeners traveled from Alaska to yeah. London to do this, going to expecting Empire Strikes Back and getting, I would have had like emotional whiplash. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've read some reviews online since then, and it's a really divisive kind of thing. I wonder if they some could, people really loved it. I wonder if they could have done like like Jedi more easily. <laughs> yeah. Because there's woods in England. Yeah. Yeah. And also, they, uh, they messed up the fight between Obi Wan and, and It wasn't and very Vader, well. It rather. wasn't really well choreographed. Well, it's, it wasn't so much the choreography. They put force pushing into it and stuff. Yeah. I was like, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. You can just, just you can stick with your original choreography. It'd be dead simple to, to match the choreography. Yeah. So is this, is, is this like maybe like the prequel version of A New Hope? <laughs> Yeah, it where it's like is in a lot. it's like we gotta de- we gotta specialize it with force pushing and uh, there's not enough Jedi on Tatooine. Let's have three Jedi just run out and start cutting people or, or start doing mind control. Like it was an interesting spectacle. I felt like I'd seen a thing. If it, if it was meant to be immersive theater, I don't think it quite hit the mark. Mm. Well, it was it was interesting theater. But I don't know uh, if I do secret cinema again. I might. It depends on the movie. I mean, but like I might. Considering that like the first one was incredible and the second one was kind of like well, all right. Yeah, well, I mean, and there's been a long line of uh, secret cinemas before that that had been, like, operated on a much smaller scale. Hmm. But obviously, walking in there hoping to have a similar experience as Back to the Future was kind of like walking into kind of, like, Phantom Menace, hoping to have the same experience as watching the original trilogy on some level. Sort of the ultimate curse of Star Wars, but... Were there any uh, droids? Like, you didn't mention anything about 3PO or R2 or any mouse droids? Yeah, or... We saw 3PO and R2. I didn't see 3PO. I did see R2. Did they look like the real deal? They yeah. were. I saw them walking together in, um, in Mos Eisley. Yeah. They're like, we have to find Master Luke. Uh, I didn't see that. I, I saw R2 just hanging out by some stall, and he wasn't really moving. He wasn't really doing anything. That may have been a trash can. I, <laughs> I don't. We didn't really see. Oh, wait. I saw that, that, little, that little guy. The little one. I saw the... Oh, the mouse, mouse droid. droid. Yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't see. The droid. I wish I'd seen the mouse droid. Yeah, ain't a yeah. Death Star without a mouse droid. <laughs> That's man. the sort of thing that you could totally steal. <laughs> I feel like from what we've heard of Star Wars Land at Disney, that they're kind of aiming for the same, or at least for the ideal version of the immersive theater experience. Yeah. Do we think that Disney has the capability of pulling off what secret cinema seems to be lacking in getting? I'm guessing the difference is, is Hill Valley is an Earth location. It's a lot easier to be immersive versus an alien galaxy. So I'm wondering if you think Disney. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Would have the opportunity to like accomplish the things that this was not able to. I think it absolutely could have been I think, accomplished. I think they could. I think yeah. Disney could do it because first of all, they've got unlimited funds. And second of all, they have like this was a temporary installation that was built, you know, for a couple of months. Whereas if Disney did something, it was like going to be it's going to be there for years. So they're going to spend millions to create it, you know, whereas this was a few hundred thousand, maybe more. No, but but at no, Secret yeah. Cinema, when you're you're walking in there with a group of a thousand people, they're all wearing funky robes and uh, other weird Star Warsy stuff. But if you go to Orlando, yeah, there might be a creepy guy at the cantina who stares you down. But you look to your left, you look to your right, and there's like you know two fat people in electric scooters, you know, eating the Mickey Mouse shaped ice cream. I think you run the risk of any immersive experience being kind of ruined by just the general public, just because mm. you know we've done two little experiences here up in Chicago for the Music Box and. We had one for David Lynch, and then last week we actually had one for Stephen King. And there's a lot of people that get into it. And there's a lot of people that will come up dressed up, and they'll actually almost maybe surpass what you even were able to do with your own event. And that's a lot. <laughs> but then you get some people that are there that literally just will take you out of the element and then just, you know, be like, hey, look, check this out. Hey, 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 man, can, can you get photos with us? Can you get photos? You know, it's just like people are kind of- they're going to ruin things. I mean, that's that's the problem. I thought it was good that they made us get rid of our phones. There was no one taking pictures. There was no one trying to get snaps of Luke, you know, hey, hey I got Luke here. You know? Yeah, that would be pretty that, horrifying. That would have happened, though, if, if they allowed phones. I, I think I think Secret Cinema could have done it better. I think Disney could do it better still, whether or not the general population will service. I mean, the acid test for that would be, I've heard you guys bring it up on previous episodes. Is I haven't been there, but, you know, the world of Harry Potter, like whether or not some people are sold into that reality and can sort of look past the families wearing fanny packs <laughs> and kind of think, here I am. I mean, if they can do it, then so too could probably someone for Star Wars. I mean, I know it's it's probably it's uh, I don't know it's it's a much harder belief to suspend, disbelief to suspend, I suppose. But I mean, it was really ambitious. They hit and they miss. So yeah. I give it a B, solid B, solid B. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> guys thank you so so much for giving us the skinny on secret cinema i've been waiting months to find out what the hell was going on yeah only to find out it wasn't empire yeah, it was fuck? it was new hope <laughs> it was totally a new hope yeah yeah 100 totally a new hope mm-hmm. but yeah thanks for having us guys Man, that's such so weird that it wasn't Empire Strikes Back. I just can't get over it. I, I can't, I can't uh, figure out because it's like, couldn't they have just built Cloud City and been like, hey, you live on Cloud City. You're the barber on Cloud City. I, I, I think you nailed it. I think uh, maybe the scope was too big. I think if you just limit yourself to one, you can do a much better job. Also, I mean, going from Back to the Future to Star Wars is such a leap. Yeah. I mean, like, couldn't they have done like Blade Runner maybe? Or did they, maybe they did Blade they, Runner? They did, yeah. They, yeah, like, well, I'm not going to name any other ones because they might have done them already. <laughs> but it, there's a difference between... I think oh, like was, Willow, for example? You could do Willow. Dude, in the fucking woods, they should do Willow. They can go out to Wales where they filmed uh, Knockmore Castle. Hell just, yeah. Man. God, I love Willow. <laughs> hey, you guys just want to dive into Willow Watch right here? It's a good, it's a good time as any. I wasn't planning on it, but we could, we could totally do it. Willow Watch is best when it's unplanned. Do it. All right, here we go.
Mike, welcome to your first Willow Watch ever. I am very, very stoked to be here. I have. Um, <laughs> it's funny that I'm, you know, doing the Willow Watch, but I have not seen the film in uh, probably close to a decade now. So, um, what are you doing, man? They got a, a, yeah, an amazing, sweet, a sweet Blu-ray that came out because we predicted it. <laughs> I know. I, I have the Blu-ray. I just need to actually watch it. I, I did catch about five minutes of it about uh, you know six months ago, and um, it was great. You know, I, I read an article recently online. Um, people were sharing, hashtagging it with the Willow Watch thing. Was this article that's just like a look back at Willow, this weird little movie from the eighties? Wait, are you talking about the AV Clubs article? Yeah, uh, yeah. Ron Howard's Willow, still raucous and ridiculous, twenty-seven yeah. years later. And I was just like, are there people out there who don't like Willow? <laughs> it was really like the thing I walked away from that article with, where it's like, yeah, it's a weird movie. I mean, the tone shifts and it's really strange. I'm like, I. The article's fine. I mean, the guy's perspective, it's his opinion, so, you know, it's an opinion piece, but I didn't find it nearly as jarring as uh, apparently this writer did, and I wondered, when, like, is it just pure nostalgia? When I view that movie, is it just through nostalgia glasses that growing up as a kid I really liked it, therefore I have to still like it as an adult, or was this dude just uptight? Honestly, I, I'm with you. Like, I think it was a seamless sort of next step. Like, I, I, it seemed normal to go from, you know, Return of the Jedi or Indiana Jones to Willow. But I mean, at the same time, like blockbusters back then were a little more ambitious in in terms of being different and original and trying to touch upon different genres that today are considered risky. And I think that if you're writing, if you're a cultural writer today, so much of writing, even if you're doing nostalgic work, it's so imperative to like put it in the context of today. So like yeah, like Willow today would be fucking crazy. Like it would be a little weird. But back then it made sense. And I don't know if that's nostalgia that's making it okay or not, but even now I don't think it's that wild. Well, I, I mean, I, Willow's I, I way more straightforward than say Ridley Scott's Legend, which I also love, but oh, like that, that movie Legend I don't get how that movie was ever made. It, it doesn't make it, any it's, sense. It's, well that, that movie insane. had it had a very troubled production. I mean, the yeah. movie that we ended up seeing is not the movie they set out to make. I mean, because they had that whole forest set burned down and they had to change things. I mean, like the whole parts of the story were probably removed and shuffled. Just so you know, we are talking about legend now. Yeah, yeah, legend, (laughs) legend, yeah. But but to tie this back in, I think... Is this our episode of Love and Legend? (laughs) Love and Legend. (laughs) But but with Willow, no studio would make Willow today because it's not based on a pre-existing franchise. Like you can't make a fantasy movie today unless it's already about a book or a sequel to another movie. It's going to be easier to make Willow 2 than it was to make the first Willow. (laughs) <laughs> you're not going to want to hear me say this, but if it was a Netflix, straight to Netflix production company, you could make Willow. I'll yeah. take what like I can that, get at this point. Movie. Hey, no, you know what? Because I'm talking Dragonheart 3, like that movie, that, that is proof that you could do a new fantasy film that is decent, direct to video or direct to Netflix, and it's just fine. You just got to have people who are willing to yeah. take the risk, but uh, movie studios I, I, I will. Uh, I'll direct that. all you who, who've just heard Dragonheart 3, what the fuck is this Doug guy about? Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll direct you to the most recent episode of Nerdy Show, also in this episode's links, where he goes into it, and it was an incredible experience. Matt, you were there. You saw it. I saw it. It was a very above-average movie. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. I, I get hyped about it, and everyone's like, is it really that great? Like, well, it's just, I mean, it's above average, but I mean, when you see something good... Among all the terrible things that we see every day, just it deserves attention. I just want to call attention to to something good, even though it's not amazing and it's not going to blow your mind. I actually do have some some Willow related content. Oh, here. please, yeah, um, go ahead. <laughs> Charlie Hondrick, both Charlie and Lawrence are uh, are local to London these days, but uh, they're they're red blooded American boys, 
And uh, Charlie was here not so very long ago, and he went to a thrift store and brought me back, knowing full well about the magic that is Willow Watch, brought me back the August 1988 issue of Starlog, which has on the front cover story, uh, well, not full-blown cover story, but little box in the corner, has a picture of Warwick Davis, Willow Speaks! In this great article, there's lots of different quotes that just point to what we here at Save the Empire, Willow Watch, have said for years. There's proof that there was a story Bible so extensive that they have films worth of material ready to go. This is Warwick Davis uh, summarizing the, the end of the film. Meanwhile, with Alora Dan and rescued and conveyed to the arms of Mad Mardigan and Sorsha, Willow gets to return home having forgotten all he knew or thought he knew. The end, to be continued, probably, observes Davis. They were thinking about making this one into Willow 2 as well because they had so much material. They were saying, shall we make a sequel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, that's, that's affirming the, the Willow Watch uh, mindset here. And then he goes on to say, Davis was interested to hear how Howard landed his directorial break. He told me that instead of getting paid, he just said, let me make a film to this director he was working with and made a deal with him. The director was Roger Corman, and Howard agreed to act in his movie Eat My Dust and Grand Theft Auto, provided he could direct the latter. Davis ponders the idea of going the same career route. Direct the next Star Wars or something, shall I? George, can I direct it, please? I'll do Willow 2 and 3 for free. <laughs> Time for him to pay up. <laughs> yeah, right. You got you to pay it forward, Georgie. I mean, like yeah. there he is. Warwick Davis confirmed that he will do Willow 1 and t- uh, 2 and 3 for free. All we got to do is just fund the rest of the film. I'd trust him with uh, the third, uh, you know, episode 9. I would too. I would too. <laughs> I would absolutely, yeah. The other piece of Willow news, and this is actually, it's very strange, but it, it's kind of momentous. We actually have the first new piece of Willow merchandise in I have no idea how long. And that is in the wake of James Horner's passing, the composer of the Willow score and, and many other amazing scores. Sheet music is being released of some of his older work. And from Omni Music Publishing, they've put out a gorgeous-looking book of sheet music for the Willow score. It's 352 pages, and it's a limited run, so this bad boy will set you back $85. Damn. Yeah. But if you're serious about the music of Willow or James Horner's work, and I feel the Willow's among some of his best, it's totally worthwhile. And uh, at the very least, if you're interested in music composition and would be curious about how Horner worked themes into his music like themes which is like something that just doesn't show up enough in modern film scores anymore it's just mm-hmm. all about making ominous bass sounds um, <laughs> they, omni music publishing has put together a great youtube video of this guy sort of dissecting the reoccurring themes within the willow score cool that's great uh so uh yeah. thus ends willow watch We did Willow. That's that's not Star Wars. Um, at least not yet, anyway. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm still hoping. Now, would it be Willow first, like a billion years before Star Wars, then Captain EO sandwiched in the middle, which eventually leads to whatever? Or is it more post-apocalyptic? Or is Willow just a planet that's just far out while Star Wars is happening? And Willow yeah, is just... it, it's, it's an outer rim planet. You, got, you have all kinds of different planets in the Star but Wars is it, galaxy. But is, it, is it, but is it before the Old Republic? Or is it, like, where is it? It's got to be before Old Republic, I think. Well, that's that's a whole other podcast. I'll I'll dive into that one for a long time. But in news additionally unrelated to Star Wars, but still very much of interest. That's why we're here. Steven Spielberg recently more or less confirmed that Harrison Ford would be working with him for Indiana Jones 5. Well, yeah, Which is good if we don't have, you know, Chris Pratt, who is basically Burt Macklin in... Jurassic World, not to be the dead <laughs> No, Chris, Chris Pratt is, is the new Jeremy oh. Renner, and Jeremy Renner is the new Sam Worthington, where it's like these, yeah. these, these actors are hot for like a good eight months, and uh, their agent is just dishing it out, like, get them on any movie they can, and uh, I mean, I like Chris Pratt, 
but everyone's the new Indiana Jones. If there's some way they can make it where they just ignore everything that happened in, in the Crystal Skull, because the problem with the fifth one is that do you do the Temple of Doom route and we can go prequel wise and maybe set it you know, a few years earlier and it's kind of like a reverse Last Crusade situation where the beginning has Ford and then the actual movie is a younger Indiana Jones. I mean, there's just a lot of ways. I don't, where, I mean, where would you guys take this for the fifth one? It would not be an Indiana Jones film. It would be Spielberg doing a Star Wars film that takes place slightly before Force Awakens, still starring an older Harrison Ford and Chewbacca. But <laughs> that's not Indiana filmed, Jones. But it is filmed as if it were an Indiana Jones film. An adventure movie movie with Han Solo. Because I want Spielberg to do a Star Wars film, and I think this is the only way it's going to happen. I like that a lot. Man, I'd fucking see that movie like multiple times the first day it came out. All right. (laughs) right, Cap, do you have a pitch for Indiana Jones? Anything they can work to not reference Kingdom Crystal Skull is wise, and I'm sure Spielberg knows that. But I think it can be done so long as you start this film, whether it comes before or after, but as long as it starts with Indy immediately thrust into a story that doesn't ever question if he has someone waiting for him back home like Marion or if Mutt is an issue. As long as it's just it's about Indiana Jones doing a thing and that stuff on the home front has just no place in the story. It doesn't get brought up. It can just be a fresh, new Indiana Jones story. Don't worry about that shit. Yeah. The reason this has all come up is that Spielberg was talking to Yahoo Movies about Ford and Hanks and how they've worked with them each four times. And he said... We've got to figure this out because now Tom is tied with Harrison Ford. Harrison and I did four movies. Tom and I have done four movies. Now I'll probably do an Indy 5 with Harrison. It'll be five Harrison and four for Tom. So I've got to make another one with Tom. So that'll be five for Tom and five for Harrison. This is I didn't realize that Steven Spielberg was so OCD, but apparently he's very OCD. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I'm going to leapfrog that way for the rest of my career with Daniel Day-Lewis and everything else. Let us now return to Star Wars, but yeah. uh, but 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 any five uh, could could be a real thing that we enjoy. <laughs> Rogue One. Now we know that when this started out, Gary Whitta wrote the original first draft of it, and then Chris Weitz came in to do the final version of it. But according to this report, the uh, guy who wrote Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation, Chris McQuarrie, did a two-week pass on Rogue One script. Oh, so you get the guy who did the Rogue movie to write the Rogue movie. Yeah, which is which, as they speculated, was maybe a further reason why they wanted to uh, make Separated. sure there was a, a a big expansive time before they started actively promoting Rogue like, One. This guy knows a lot about rogues. Let's put him in there. Like get him, uh, get his take on it. He de- he dealt with an entire nation. It'd be easier for him to deal with one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that one. <laughs> So, uh, episode eight, we have not confirmed, but practically confirmed a cast member for one of the lead females of the film, whose name I am going to utterly butcher, but it looks like Gugu Mbatha Ra. Is that the character name or the no, actor name? No, that is the, ac- that is the be- actor name. I was just being a smartass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she played Martha Jones's sister, Tish, in Doctor Who, and the Latino Review initially had her name on a short list of people who'd done chemistry reads with John Boyega, but then an independent source from the Latino Review, because obviously anything that goes up there, it's either true or it's not at all. When you say anything goes up there, literally anything, anything goes. goes up there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there was another source that outright just confirmed, no, she got it. So it is not confirmed, but it's as good as many of the past confirmations that weren't confirmations that we've had mm-hmm, in the past. Mm-hmm. So she's in there. We know Mark Hamill's in it for sure. There's video of him pulling pints at a pub in uh, Kerry. 
I did see that they're saying that he's he doesn't he might have a new look without now he doesn't have a beard I guess yeah but. yeah I think he he shaves I Big think I think the, out of retirement at the end of this movie he shaves <laughs> that's the, the last shot of the film oh as uh, it's just like um the old uh, Hollywood trope you know a new life does it matter if he shaves if he's under the Kylo Ren mask kidding kidding I need I need I have to address that because even apparently this rumor is getting so out of control I, this is the first oh, I've heard is. of it actually oh no dude there's oh, there's rumor everyone's like is Luke Skywalker really Kylo Ren and yeah, and, 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 and I'm like no why do you ask and it's like, I, well because he's what? not on the poster I mean, my Facebook feed was filled with people that after the trailer debuted, they're like, are we really going to pretend that Luke Skywalker is not under that mask? And I'm going to be like, yes, we are going to pretend because it's not going to happen. <laughs> We're not pretending. Literally, he's not under that mask. Like, there, there is an actor that was cast as Kylo Ren, and it's been announced, and we've seen him without the mask on. That's insane. People, people be crazy. <laughs> And then, but, but but people, the evidence for this was like, oh, take a look at this episode of Dinner for Five, going back a couple of years, where J.J. Abrams and Mark Hamill were both on it, and Mark Hamill's like, you know, it'd be fun, like an evil Luke, that'd be fun to do sometime. And J.J. was like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, and like that's it, like it's it's them bullshitting around a dinner table, and that's well, confirmed. Yeah, there's a confirmed evil Luke. Like, it's like, what the fuck? And just, no, no, it, it has gotten so bad that if you Google Kylo Ren, it's the first, it's like four, the first four stories are the comparisons of Kylo Ren and Luke Skywalker. I just tried right now. But like, like why oh. do you compare them? Like, they have nothing in common. <laughs> they have so much not in common. They're not even on the the poster. Like, it's like one's on the poster, one isn't. And we've seen behind the scenes photos of Luke. Like, come on. It's all a big conspiracy, dog. They cast Kylo Ren so you wouldn't suspect that it's Luke. This is what happens when people don't listen to State of the Empire. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's all red herrings. Everything has been... We know nothing about this movie. Even the trailers are fake. They filmed those scenes just for the trailer. Yeah, the other, excuse, <laughs> the other excuse is like, oh, J.J. Abrams is known for like pulling a fast one on people. And I'm like, what? Like with Khan, where everyone saw that coming a fucking mile yeah, away? seriously. Okay. I mean, I think the big twist is what has been rumored since... The whole project has been announced and when a certain big actor was linked to the project and i think that's sort of like the inherent con moment that maybe happened which i hope is not true i don't know i don't mean i mean i don't think anybody really knows but i think that's gonna be the obvious more the more obvious one I, but i don't know you know, maybe Leia's under the Kylo Ren mask. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's Lando. Maybe that's why we oh, haven't seen God. him. Oh, shit, Lando. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, no. I love those comics. Are they done? Yeah, uh, Lando was a five-part series. Let's, let's talk about Star Wars comics. The best Star Wars comic yet from Marvel by a huge margin is, believe it or not, the Lando five-part miniseries. I shit it's, you not. That is a great... I'm, great. I'm just saying that because I'm, I'm a fan of Lando, but it is written well. The character voices are down. It gives you insight to his character. It gives you backstory to Lobot, even. It makes you care about Lobot. I didn't even like the Lobot. He was just kind of a blandish kind of uh, monotone. He didn't even speak. But man, in this comic, I want more adventures. I, I will feel powerfully for Lobot when I watch Empire Strikes Back. For again. real, yeah. I, when I see him, I will, oh. it's going to change everything. Yeah. Uh, it's going to pull from the wind so bad. <laughs> I kind of was... Just didn't know there was only going to be five issues. Really, I, I maybe I was, I was just so naive, but like I love that more than the Shattered Empire comic. I I've been sorely disappointed by this. I think it's rushed. I think it's underwritten. Maybe I'm alone on that, but yeah, the only one that I've really been blown away by was the Lando comic so far. You're not wrong. Now, Greg Rucka, who wrote Shattered Empire, is a great writer. 
Shattered Empire, if you're not familiar, was a uh, four-part comic book series that's done now, and it actually comes out collected in November to come out before Force Awakens. It's the first comic set after Return of the Jedi and follows the parents of Oscar Isaac's character, Poe Dameron. Now, it has some great moments in it, but yeah, there's just, there's just not a lot there. And I think that's just typical of, of what um, they've been doing with all the lead ends and the journey of The Force Awakens. It's all trivial, you know? But it's also just so, like, coincidental. Every issue of the four issues has kind of a main cast member from the trilogy kind of guest star as these two rebels are separated and doing separate missions post-Endor, basically. There's some interesting stuff. Leia, for example, goes to Naboo, which is not the first time she's been in Naboo. She, uh, she went there actually in the Princess Leia comic series, which is the weakest comic that Marvel's done so far. But in this one, she goes to the palace and has this really bizarre moment where she has a, a bit of forced sensitivity while going into the hangar bay and like senses like some kind of like, like the ghosts of that place in some ways, which is a good moment. But it really wasn't remarkable. You don't even see baby Poe Dameron. That doesn't even happen. Now, that's collected in November. Lando, on the other hand, that's done now. It's done, but it comes out collected on January 19th. I'm definitely picking it up. I mean, that, that Lando miniseries, it was like one movie. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, it truly was. It was, it was like one yeah. Lando spinoff movie that you would love to see. It's an amazing, amazing heist film. I could say more. It actually has some deep lore in it that like kind of confirms some things about expanded universe continuity and whether it's there or not. It's a, you wouldn't expect it. You wouldn't expect it in a million years, but yeah. it's there. You got to check it out. And it just there's a lot of twists and surprises in it that I just did not see coming and I, it, it like like I said, it would make for a great movie. That's the, I I wonder if that's how they intentionally framed it. Probably. Well, the guy who wrote it, Charles Soule, really talented dude, and he's actually moving on to another Star Wars miniseries. This one was announced at New York Comic-Con, Obi-Wan Anakin. Yeah, I mean, Lando is so good. I'm like, hell, maybe I'll check out some Obi-Wan Anakin. Like, uh... it, it's, uh, it comes out in January, and uh, it has art by uh, the guy who did the art for Shattered Empire, which is probably the best part about it. So maybe, that... maybe we'll finally hear that story of how Anakin pulled him out of that pit of Gundarks. It's entirely <laughs> possible. Uh, this takes place within the 10 years between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, specifically three years after Phantom Menace, so Anakin's about 12 or 13 years old. And there's a great interview that I'll point you to with Charles Soule on StarWars.com, but there's some quotes that are definitely worth highlighting here to give us some perspective. Because I think this is, I know, Matt, I know you're really excited about this because this is, mm-hmm. this is prequel era stuff that like many things that's happened with the expanded universe helps to validate that, build the character of Obi-Wan, build the character of Anakin in a way that we can mm-hmm. actually relate to as opposed to what the films offer. I agree. The, the prequel era of comics was by far the best expanded universe comics. And I'm shocked to see Marvel go to this era so quickly. I thought, you know, I, I thought they were distancing themselves. And it, it's a pleasant surprise because it was the best of the stuff that's been invalidated. Soul says Anakin was just on the cusp of becoming a teenager, which is when everybody starts asking questions about the path their life is on. Up to that point, your parents, your guardians tell you what you're going to do with your life. And you just do it. You don't really think about it much. But then right around 13 or so, you start wondering if there might be another way. And likewise, Obi-Wan jumped into this after promising to train Anakin on Qui-Gon's deathbed. And I don't think he necessarily knew what training Anakin Skywalker was going to be like. The inciting incident for the book is them answering a distress signal on a planet that's supposed to be completely dead. In Soul's words, he says, a planet that hopefully would seem fresh that we hadn't seen before, with mountain peaks over this huge rolling sea of green mist that obscures everything below because it's a planet full of secrets. It gives you some opportunity to do some really cool visuals with Jedi hopping around using their lightsabers in the snow. And this is my, my favorite part in the quotes. He says, the other thing I'm going to explore is Anakin grew up as a slave. He was property. He was a cheerful kid in The Phantom Menace, but presumably he had some really dark days there, as did his mother. So 
I think he has a sense of realism about the universe that I believe he thinks a lot of the younger Padawans maybe don't share. And even some of the older Jedi probably don't see things the way he does. Something Palpentine would be able to foster in a way. Now that's, that's pretty neat. It is. It's seeing what with the world that was presented even better than Lucas himself was. You know, even with the expanded universe stuff back in the day with like the idea of a clone army. I mean, you know, that, that, there's a lot of heavy sci-fi shit that you can get into there about the fact that they are slaves. And it's also, and it comes into play with the expanded universe that Anakin can relate to that. The clones themselves are, are property. They were created for a specific purpose. And, and Anakin, in a lot of ways, is that way too. I mean, he's, he goes from being a slave to being a Jedi and essentially in service and, and he is property in that way too. You could so do so many amazing story elements with that where it's like the dark side is like, you were a slave to a junkyard dealer, now you're a slave to the Jedi. Why don't you forge your own path? And like all these amazing things that can be done, but just sadly, yippee. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's interesting is I think Lucas was aware of this. He just didn't think that he needed to expand on it. I feel like he just kind of saw it as like, well, they can get that. And Maybe. luckily there's a lot of people who can you know, present it in, in a literary and graphic format. If you want to uh, read into some of the stuff Sol is also saying, he mentions the cyclical nature of Star Wars and that Anakin's master-apprentice relationship with Ahsoka could echo from his own apprenticeship. So we may actually see some stuff that happened in Clone Wars inversely resonate from this story. Kind of like poetry. That's right? cool. It rhymes. <laughs> yeah. It's cool because if, you know, if it's one cohesive canon, it, it's nice that you can have works that aren't the film's you know, they're always trying to reflect off of things that you've seen on screen, but it's cool that you can now go beyond that and kind of enhance the characters that you've seen in other non-film formats. One thing to close the comic section, just to mention in passing, is there's actually a six-part crossover event that's starting in November and going until mid-January called Vader Down. It starts with a, an event one-shot issue. The whole thing is written by Jason Aaron and Kieran Gillen, the guys who are writing Star Wars and Darth Vader, respectively. And this is a story that sounds pretty badass. It's Vader up against the entire Alliance army and fleet. Basically, survival is Vader's only goal. And he's the hunted rather than the hunter, doing whatever it takes to survive. So it's, it's interesting seeing Vader at an impasse here. If it's anything like the uh, footage I've been seeing from Battlefront, uh, I think Vader's going to win that one. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good segue. Battlefront beta is out. We played it. It's okay. If you like Battlefront, it's Battlefront. In passing, we should mention there are some new characters that have been announced. Leia, Han, and Palpy mm-hmm. are all going to be in the game as, uh, as hero characters. And Leia's pretty neat. People who are spawned near her will actually spawn as Alderaan honor guards. Yeah, it's like she'll give cool little buffs to each little thing. Like Each hero has its own perk. It'll be interesting to see how they can implement this and make it like you can you're really good with one character oh we got to find this one character because they would spawn health for us or something like that i I, that might bring something really interesting to it yeah i mean there's there's so much more we talk about battlefront but it's being covered elsewhere battlefront is yeah it's it's, one one of the big games series pre-order it yeah it still looks pretty good i'm wanting to play the full version because the 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 two little demos left me wanting yeah but hey you know if they fix more of those glitches and uh we get some pretty cool new maps and stuff, then I'm going to try it. I should definitely say that if you haven't checked out Star Wars Uprising, the free game on, uh, I guess, iPhone, I don't know if it's on Android or not, but uh, free game, it takes place after Return of the Jedi. We've talked about it in past episodes, but if you do, if you do play Uprising, you should join Willow Watch. That's our cartel. Yeah. Join Willow Watch, one word. (laughs) We have a Star Wars Uprising thread where uh, Max Acree, Nerdy Show Forum member, He's got detailed accounts of stuff that's been going on in there. I actually haven't got a chance to play the game half as much as I'd like to, but you should definitely check it out. Before we leave video games, sure. 
I want to jump in about Star Wars Battle Pod. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've had a couple chances now to play Star Wars Battle Pod. Which is an immersive arcade game experience. Yeah, it, uh, it's a dome, basically dome screen that you sit in front of, cool sound system, the wind blows in your face, and the seat kind of vibrates as you go past explosions and stuff. I really dig it. It's really expensive. The one place you can guarantee to find them is Dave and Buster's, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I played the Yavin level, I played the Hoth level, and I played the uh, Forest Moon of Endor. And I got my scores. I took a screen cap on my phone of the scores. So I'm going to issue a challenge to any listeners of State of the Empire to see if they can beat my score, and we need photo evidence. I'm going to start a thread on the Nerd Show forums. I barely made it. <laughs> a couple of these things, like, I almost failed a few times, but it, but it was a rush when you finally, like, if you if you nail it just in time before the second thing clicks down and you fire the torpedoes and you do this thing, it, it was, it is a great experience. It's short, but I think that guarantees a good time. Like, it, it doesn't get too long. You're not doing whatever. It's very fast-paced. It's a little bit of a learning curve, but... If you got a few bucks to waste and you got a couple minutes and you're a Star Wars fan, you're going to have fun. Highly recommend it. But I'll be posting the images as proof. I will demand photo evidence if you beat my score. When it comes to really developing the Star Wars canon in its current state, bringing expanded universe stuff back into continuity, it really boils down to the novels. And Matt, you've been doing a lot of work to that end. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm making my way through the new canon. in time before Force Awakens, which is strange that I'm, you know, considering how little of it is actually tying in. But one of the interesting things that I came across, I assume, Cap, that we're leading into Tarkin. Yes, anything you've got, because there's a lot of books that have been out for a few months that you're catching up on. Yeah, and, and Tarkin's an interesting book because it's written by James Luceno, who is the novel historian for Star Wars. All his novels try to tie every era together. I mean, he is obviously very well versed. I mean, he wrote this, the Plagueis novel that basically explained that every conflict with the Jedi I've ever had over the course of the entire prequel era, and even a little bit beyond, you know, the Sith were behind it in some way. I mean, going back to the strangest miniseries of prequel comic that would come out like just before Phantom Menace came out. It was a history trip, really. And so when they were going about rebooting the canon and, you know, establishing some stories that would, you know, sort of lead us to where we were going, apparently they went to Luceno for one of the first books, Tarkin, you know, to give us a little bit more about this guy that's obviously the villain of the first movie. And what was interesting about the book was that there are so many times that they will come across just a list. You know, they'll say, oh, what possible star system could they have run to? And then they'll start listing planets from out-of-continuity novels from the old expanded Mm -hmm. universe just to put things back as like, no, guys, they all exist. These places and locations and things, and maybe not the stories, maybe they are just legends as they've labeled it, but they still exist. So it's creating this interesting situation of like, I don't know if I want to call it a headcanon, but unless it's invalidated by a later story, everything kind of exists still. Certainly in the, in the sake that like there probably is a ship named the Outrider or, you know, just every <laughs> little thing, you know, like Shizor is probably a character. Certainly, you know, they, they, you know, Black Sun and the Faelene were in Clone Wars. There's no reason why one of them wasn't Shizor and why Dash Rendar doesn't exist anymore. And all these other, I don't know why I'm going to Shadows of the Empire here, but clearly, <laughs> clearly that's on my mind right now. It constantly comes up. And more interestingly is when they'll name a planet, like Tarkin will say a planet, and Vader will say something like, oh, I'm familiar with that planet. And then Tarkin will ask why, and Vader will just ignore him. And the only reason we can assume that he knows of this planet is because Vader has been in an adventure on that planet in a previous expanded universe work that's no longer canon, and they don't bring it back in the canon by rehashing the story, but you're to infer it because Vader said, oh, I've been there, I know all about that planet. 
like, why? Because we've read that comic before. It's interesting that that's the approach they've taken, that they are simply now legends, but everything still exists. And there's a weird, weird, weird thing that happened recently. You pointed out there was in 1983, there was a children's book called The Ewoks Join the Fight. Yeah. Ewoks Join the Fight, which was just a kind of a weird children's book that kind of told the events of the Battle of Endor from the Ewoks perspective and, you know, some, some characters that were unique to that book. Very recently, Disney did some young readers books for like very young kids, readapting some things from the original movies. And one of them was a very similar book with all the same characters, but just retold, even though the same events just being retold. And the name of this book was Ewoks Join the Fight. So they just adapted a no longer in continuity children's book. So it stands the reason that they could possibly do the same for larger works, such as the hints and aftermath that someone like a Grand Admiral Thrawn might pop up in between episodes six and seven. So there's definitely some opening for re-adaptation. That's wild. That's so weird. We're not quite done yet, but Mike, you've got to go. Yeah, I got I to gotta run. My wife and I are going to be uh, Han and Leia for this Halloween party that we're hosting tonight. So oh, fun. Speak so, of the devil. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Come back soon. I hope so. Oh, and come to Chicago. They're actually um, going to be uh, turning the Whistler in Logan Square into uh, Mos Eisley Cantinas two days before uh, Sports Awakens. So uh, I will report back on that. Um, Holy shit. How, okay. Know. Damn. It's only one night only. I doubt it's going to be as immersive as anything that Charlie and Lawrence did, but I'm sure we'll have uh, photos to include. Yeah. Stay tuned for uh, extensive Consequences Sound coverage relating to Star Wars in the uh, months to come. Absolutely. Got a ton coming up in December. So anyway, thanks so much, guys. Of course. This is awesome. <laughs> Later, dude. Hey, Moving on to additional book stuff. Now, we've got, oh, there's such an interesting tidbit you sent my way, Matt. There's a young adult series. It's, it's a spinoff of Star Wars Rebels. It's called Servants of the Empire. In book four, The Secret Academy, it has something that legit ties into Force Awakens in a way that's way more compelling than most of the Journey to the Force Awakens stuff. Don't freak out. This isn't really spoiler territory. It features a guy named Commandant Beryl Hux. That's the same last name as the First Order's General Hux. Oh. Suggesting that Force Awakens General Hux comes from a long line of Imperials, but it gets better. Because Beryl Hux wants to create a program in which the Empire raises children from infancy to train as imperialist soldiers with extreme loyalty. Damn. See, that, 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 that tells me that has to be the explanation for Finn's name. Yeah, well, and also in the trailer, he says the line. In the trailer, Finn says, I was raised to do one thing. Now, we've been yeah. saying on State of the Empire, and again, I, I don't feel this is spoilery. If you feel that way, nah. I'm sorry. But we believe that Finn has been raised by the Empire. Yeah. He's not your standard issue stormtrooper, as you may know them from the original trilogy. And he's not a clone. But he has been conscripted since birth. That makes sense with with everything like that, that old time. And when someone says, "I was raised to do one thing," it's usually not be nice. <laughs> <laughs> How soul destroying and dehumanizing is the idea that Finn's real name is the only name, which is just a random designation of numbers and letters. To the point, like I really hope if that's the case, if if this you know as his toy revealed that he's you know number FN two whatever blah 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 blah. If when he has to give his name for the first time to non-First Order people, that creating an actual name on the spot like that, like that suddenly, you know, he's making himself a real person by changing F to Finn. You know, it doesn't have to be an important plot note, but it's certainly, I don't know, I find that to be a very powerful thing. You know, in some ways, they could actually be portrayed much more cruel than the Empire we know and love because 
they're doing more than taking a bunch of, you know, enlistees like Han was and things like that. They're actually taking people from birth and well, no. probably assuming that people would have complete loyalty because they were raised in this situation. Child soldiers aren't evil enough. We got to blow up a star system. <laughs> you see what I mean? Like you can go the opposite way and still be just, you could be more evil by not blowing up a star system and enslaving it. I think enslaving an entire star system is more evil than just blowing it up. Well, you got to take that up with JJ because he doesn't feel that way. Get him on the phone. <laughs> I got some questions. There's another interesting book that's coming out that's kind of resonates in the, the Tales from the Cantina kind of vibe. It's one of the Journey to the Force Awakens novels, and it's coming out November 24th. It's written by Delilah Dawson, and it's called The Perfect Weapon. The Amazon placeholder cover clearly features a woman who we've seen in photos of Maz Kanata's palace. So it's just one random background character, Force Awakens, which is pretty yeah, the, neat. Those kinds of stories have always done so much for the series. It amazes me how many times I, I, I see fans that are aware of, you know, Ponda Baba's background and Tanika's sisters and the Max Rebo band and everything else because of short stories like this and that were published in the, you know, Tales from the Moss Icy Cantina and that series. And I'm glad to see that they're trying to do the same for this series of movies. So what's the new character you, you guys have been chatting all about on Facebook? The Constable, oh, Constable Zuvio, the greatest Constable, Constable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greatest character of The Force Awakens, Constable Zuvio. You're gonna, when you watch this movie, you're going to be like, holy shit, Constable Zuvio, that is the character to watch out for. That is Captain Tarpolis level. Like <laughs> Constable Zuvio is getting his own short story, and that tales from, the, from a galaxy far, far away anthology. So we'll get a little background on Zuvio, not until after the movie comes out, but... You know, he's just going to have such a presence when this movie comes out. I mean, I'm actually looking at my Zuvio action figure right now as we're doing this. And uh, man, he's cool. That Tales from a Galaxy Far, Far Away, Pablo Hidalgo spoke on that at New York Comic Con and said that the post-Return of the Jedi stories take inspiration from, and this is really shocking, notes that George Lucas left them, ideas from Michael Arndt's early version of Episode 7, mm-hmm. and ideas that Ryan Johnson wants to explore in Episode 8. Like, all that is open season for Journey to the Force Awakens, and people have been actively pulling from it. I don't know which of those three is the most interesting aspect of that quote. <laughs> I think it's Michael Arndt. For me, it, yeah, he, I agree. Because he was the first one that really got to play around. In yeah, world. he wrote a script, maybe several versions of a script for episode seven for a movie that we're not going to see ever. And I yeah. like everything he's done, like up to this point. Though I, we could also potentially infer that because he and Ryan Johnson are, are being uttered in the same sentence here that maybe, as we suspected long ago in State of the Empire, J.J. simply wanted to tell a story that, that could have taken place before the story that Arndt was writing. And so maybe episode eight will reflect Arndt's script. More so than the first More, Awakening of the same. Yeah, yeah, that it was simply, the, the idea was, if you haven't watched this in the past episode of State of the Empire, the idea was, and this is all our own conjecture, Arndt wrote a story that was a complete standalone with mostly new characters. And then everything happened with Disney and all that, and they got J.J. Abrams, and they realized, well, no, we should do a movie that more intimately involves the original cast of characters. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think Arndt's script was based on the idea that they couldn't get any original actors. Yeah, or wouldn't or shouldn't. Yeah. And so that story could be resurrected within episode eight, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Hidalgo also said, reread the current novels in about a year and see new things that you'll notice. There's a lot there we simply won't be able to pick up on. We probably could. 
Right. <laughs> also, uh, if you want a little taste of the other journey, the Force Awakens young adult novels, Nestle, of all people, has released two animated adaptations of scenes from Weapon of a Jedi by Jason Fry and Smuggler's Run by Greg Rucka, and they're really good. So we'll link to where you can check those out on this episode's page. I acquired something recently, something we've been trying to get our hands on for a while. Together, we will destroy the Resistance and The Last Jedi. Don't fight it. You know you can't. <laughs> that last line, it always kills me. He just sounds like a creep. Well, he's a bad guy. He's a bad guy, but like he's not, it's not ominous, just like, ugh. But you like, can't, you can't out Vader Vader. This is the talking, voice-changing Kylo Ren mask, and I, I early on, with, for Force Friday, I wanted to get one of these masks and do the show wearing it, but uh, let me demonstrate what this thing sounds like for you. Oh, shit, it's Kylo Ren. Can, can you hear it? There you go. All right, so this thing, if you can't understand the words I'm saying, honestly, I don't blame you, because this thing is a piece of shit. I don't badass at Kylo Ren. I want everybody to be like, oh, shit, I'm going to holler at my boy Kylo, but I'm betting that I'm saying all these sentences, and you can't understand a single fucking word I'm saying. <laughs> I, I, so I, could you make any of that out? Because I heard I heard the word shit. <laughs> <laughs> I well, that is that up. is what this sounds like. The voice changing Kylo Ren mask, uh, retailing at I believe about like thirty dollars, is a piece of shit. Now it looks very good. Yeah, it, you put that on like the wall or something. That you know that looks all right. Yeah, it, it looks very good. But the speaker is on the top of the head. Now that's not really much of a problem. But the, the volume of his pre-programmed phrases are much louder than the volume that it's outputting. The and the speaker on the head doesn't I, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't know Wait, why. They why isn't that. it behind the vapory thing in the front? I don't really know. Maybe yeah. logistics. But man, I'm just saying like. I'm returning this item because I don't believe that it works as described. It is, it's crap. Don't believe the hype. Do not buy this thing unless you just want to look at it. If you just want to look at it, great. But if you want to walk around at Halloween time and feel like Kylo Ren, uh-uh, go elsewhere. It's mm. complete bullshit. I think what upsets me the most is that the Adam Driver voice, you know, the Kylo Ren voice is actually not near what it is now according to the trailers. Like, it has since been, obviously, you know, did a lot of post-work and decided what the actual final voice was going to be, and that toy does not sound like the voice anymore. <laughs> That's a very good point. Maybe there'll be better ones in the future, but Jesus, it sucks. Well, I mean, even the Darth Vader voice changer doesn't make you sound like Darth Vader. It does the breathing, but you don't actually sound like Darth Vader. Well, does it, does, can you understand what you're saying? More so than the Kylo Ren one, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least with Darth Vader, I can hear what someone says, or someone can hear what I'm saying. In other news, Star Wars Rebels, still awesome. Season 2 is on right now. I'll forward you on to a trailer. Very, very good trailer. If you're not watching Rebels, at the very least, do yourself a favor. And if you just want to see how good it can be, check out the episode, I forget what it's called, that, that launched Season 2. Siege of Lothal? Yeah, the Siege of Lothal. Watch Siege of Lothal and be like, wow, okay, this kid's show is, it's very Star Wars. It's the real deal. So this trailer, it had a lot going on in it. Most notably, the two episodes that have come out so far show that the reunion with some old clone troopers, beloved characters from the Clone Wars uh, in this new setting, really well done two-part episode. But but in the trailer, we get some interesting details that tie in Sabine, the Mandalorian, with some interesting stuff. She identifies as being Clan Wren of House Visla, and her I believe her sister shows up, and she has what looks like a Black Sun logo on her helmet. Clan Wren, though. Well, Wren's what she's been using for her last name, but it, with a W. Yeah. Oh, okay, so it's a different spelling. And uh, the Visla, I mean, Visla as a Mandalorian name has been around since, gosh, I don't even know how far back in the expanded universe that goes. 
but then they used it pretty extensively on uh, Clone Wars for uh, John Favreau's character. Previsla? Yes. Yeah, so I have no experience with Clone Wars. Actually, Colin from Nerdy Show has just marathoned all of it, and in the next State of the Empire, we're going to get him on here and provide his reactions to Clone Wars as an adult watching what, what is more of a children's show than Rebels is, at least I believe so, in some respects. I, I've seen a handful of episodes of Clone Wars, and I've seen a handful of episodes of Rebels, and I would agree with that. It, Rebels is a little bit more family-friendly, whereas Clone Wars was definitely more aimed towards children. At least the episodes that I saw. I would say generally, yes. I think Clone Wars so far has gotten darker. Clone Wars at its darkest was darker than Rebels. Uh-huh. But Rebels overall from the beginning has just been a, an older oriented show. Because Clone Wars could get really not dark. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's all on, on Netflix now. So everybody can watch it and check it out. And, and lots of people are revisiting it who never checked it out before. I haven't myself done that. And now it, it really is playing a crucial role because it's, it's smoothing over a lot of the bullshit that was in. I mean, there's plenty of bullshit in, in Clone Wars as well. But a lot of the bullshit that was in the prequels has been enhanced into something better by Clone Wars. And, and then we're seeing the Clone Wars stories become part of Rebels and help make the Star Wars saga feel more cohesive. Sort of like rebuilding the framework a little bit to make it feel a little bit more solid. Yeah. So Colin is going to let us know if it worked, like what it, what it was like, what it's like revisiting it, what it's like marathoning it, and what role Clone Wars has to play in the Star Wars universe as we know it now. Also, one final note on, uh, on Rebels. Uh, we've, we found out who Sarah Michelle Gellar is voicing in this new season. Oh, yeah? And it is the other Inquisitor who's called the Seventh Sister. Buffy the Jedi Hunter? Yeah, Buffy the Jedi Slayer, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we got the shitty Kylo Ren helmet. We have a a relatively disappointing haul of action figures for Force Friday that pales in comparison to what happened with, say, Phantom Phantom Menace, Menace, Attack of the Clones. And it's because Hasbro's been very stingy about what they've been releasing. They wanted It's all reflected the first third of the film. We don't know what's happening the rest of it. However, there was a recent interview, a really good article, on co-design where they interviewed Hasbro's Star Wars design director Steve Evans. He is in a rare position of knowing more about episode 7 than most. In fact, he and his team were invited to the set where they talked with J.J. Abrams, given the overall pitch of the story with major beats, and were provided with a dossier full of top secret images, including the Hasbro figures for the first time ever are utilizing 3D scans of actors, characters, and vehicles from the the film crew themselves into the the material. And, and he said, and this is the most insane quote, because it's going to drive toy collectors fucking batshit crazy. As we lead up to December 18th, there's a certain amount that gets released. There are certain surprises from a product line that no one knows about that will release leading up to the movie, at the movie, and beyond the movie. So what that's saying is, watch those boxes coming in from Hasbro, because you never know when there's going to be new Star Wars shit in it. Ay, ay, ay. I love it. I love it, though. I, I, it's evil genius is what it is. What that's simulating is that's taking the collector's experience where these days everybody knows when everything's coming out. But back when I was a child getting Star Wars action figures or Ninja Turtle action figures for that matter, you didn't know when it was going to happen. You never knew when there was going to be a new wave of action figures. You just might walk into KB Toys one day and be like, holy shit. All the packaging's Uh, different. What is this new shit? Rex and I were just talking about that like yesterday. how, How many times you go in and out of Suncoast video looking to see what was new because you just did not know. Yeah, so now, congratulations, children of uh, the 21st century. Now you know how it feels, and it's a beautiful feeling. You'll walk into Target, you will never know what you're going to see. Except you will know when they arrive, because people are going to tweet about it, you know? It's going to be... Good luck finding it. Yeah, but... The, but it's, get, a, get yourself a Constable Zuvio. Get, <laughs> get two. 
it's like they looked at the madness of Phantom Menace toy reveal and they were just like, how do we get that? Except instead of it lasting maybe a weekend, we stretch it out over a few months. It makes sense to me. Like, like again, evil genius on how we can stretch out the idea of like, how much money can we get for each of these toys if we spread it out over a good amount of time? Good on them. Congrats. They've done it. <laughs> so in closing, and this isn't going to be a very long segment, in closing, we're going to open the blast doors. We're going to talk spoilers for the trailer. I, th- I think we, we've done, we've really covered most of everything. It's been a long episode. Yeah. Thank you for, uh, for joining us for this adventure. Hope you enjoyed it. For those of you brave enough. Yeah. If you got any, any other additional comments to make, feel free to post about it on the Nerdy Show forums in the State of the Empire thread or on this episode's page. If you got any, any leads, of course, let us know. But so, uh, so we're going we're gonna to open the blast doors. We're going to talk about spoilers. So if you're tuning out now, see you later. And uh, if you're tuning in, well, well welcome. Come, come, come through the blast doors, please. Here we go. Open the blast doors. Open the blast doors. So that trailer, guys. Uh, First thing that we were talking about was definitely Leia hugging Han and looking like there's some kind of loss. I have no interpretation of that other than Han shows up with the new kids and this is the problem. Maybe it's the first time they've seen each other in a while or not, but the idea that they're about to go on a dangerous mission and it's looking like they may not come back. So Leia is making, there's a reconciliation happening there. That's how I interpreted that. Because it is, I mean, it is Han that she's hugging, right? I think the twist is... We've all assumed that Han or Finn get seriously injured in this movie, and I think it's going to be Chewie. I am now a little nervous about the fact that they announced the Chewbacca miniseries. When they killed off Chewbacca in Vector Prime back in the old expanded universe, they also did a Chewbacca miniseries comic Mm. as sort of a a simultaneous tie-in to his upcoming very near death. This current Chewie miniseries, it's nice, but it's a side adventure, and it's a lot of fun, but it's just a side adventure. And that would go evidence against, because the Chewbacca comic for Dark Horse was people telling their greatest Chewbacca stories as sort of like a memorial. So it took place over multiple time periods, and it was just kind of, you know... Well, also, when the shot of Rey crying... The thing thing she's crying over... It looks, to me, it looks like a brown leather jacket. Like, someone is laying down the ground, their feet are more aimed towards the camera than their head is. I mean, they're mostly horizontal, but it looks like it looks like an elbow. It looks but, like no, the elbow. Kind of, there's like kind of like, like boxy things. That look sort of like Chewie's bandolier. I don't know. Yeah, I th- I think, it, it does. I, it looks like Chewbacca. Pull it up. Shot. Pull it up. Because like I think it looks like a leather, a brown leather jacket, like the elbow of a brown leather jacket of either Han or Finn. It doesn't look furry to me. It's tough to call. I, I don't know. She might be crying for other reasons. It, it might be simply post a reveal that she's connected to the bad guys somehow. You know, I mean, Luke was pretty upset too. I mean, she might just be having her I'm your father moment, which, you know, in this case might be a I am your brother or I am your cousin. That sort of thing. God, it's it's so hard. I'm looking at this like blow by blow, different analysis of it. Man, people people throw in the chroma on and like and getting oh, yeah. colors that comes out of it that looks like uh I told you it's an uh, elbow. I told you it's an elbow. I don't know, man. I feel like that that could be like you, you have to see it in Chewbacca's motion. Saddlebag. I'm, no, no, no. I'm telling you, in motion, it's an elbow. It's moving, but you have to Cap, see the shot in motion. I, I saw I saw a breakdown that actually outlined what she's over, and then like put it up to Finn wearing the jacket, and then like measured dimensions. By the way, can I add? It's weird that Finn has, or maybe not weird, but it'll definitely be like a little. I don't know, maybe in joke in the movie or something. Finn's still wearing the jacket when he crosses Poe at the X-Wing thing, that's Poe's jacket. Yeah, he stole that jacket from Poe, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he steals the jacket from Poe, so at some point, Poe's gonna have to be like, you know what, man? Go ahead, keep the jacket. You're cool. 
And then, you know, like, it's clearly going to be some sort of little, like, a line a or, joke, you know, A something. reoccurring gag. It, do, it does seem yeah. possible that Ray is crying over a dead Finn or a I, gravely injured Finn, an ar- a Finn missing an arm, perhaps, in this forest because she is in the same forest that Finn is confronting Kylo Ren. Yeah. And Boyega is not confirmed for episode eight yet, still. So he might be the one who dies. But how, but I mean, it, why it, would they neither, do, why would they? Neither, neither is Daisy Ridley. But why would they do chemistry readings? Exactly. Unless, you know. Except that that's still rumored, but I believe that rumor. Yeah. So, oh, we're in such a strange time, guys. There's there's so many weird things. See, at first I thought it was Han, then I'm thinking it's Chewie, but then when I saw the trailer, then I'm thinking, oh, it looks like Finn, but maybe he's just injured, like, and he's hurt really bad. Like, I can see that. If you want my honest, like, what I think, actually, uh, I think Finn is not going to survive this movie. I think that's the big... Like, I know JJ's not the twisty one. It's usually the people that write for him, like, you know, the Roberto Orsi and Kurtzman and Lindelof and Cuse. It's not really JJ's thing. But, you know, this whole, it's just the first third of the movie for the toys. And we're not showing you anything. We're not telling you anything. And we're not screening it for press. And and it tells me that he has one chance to do a Star Wars film and hit all those beats that make Star Wars Star Wars. And that's why this movie is just a big, giant impression. And if you're JJ, you also want the I am your father moment because he wants all of those things. That's why he keeps including all of them. And I, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bother me because he is by far so the most like, like you know, I, I say by far because the other, the other two, Isaac and Ridley, are very likable too. But we man, don't know, John we don't, Boyega but seems it, like a nice guy. Yeah, and that, but he, 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 from what little we know about each of the characters, his seems the most interesting to me. That people are oh, yeah. already invested in him even without having seen the film so there if he dies in this movie especially because there's a prominent black character in star wars and so was another prominent black character in star wars they're gonna lose their shit this will not be okay if that is what happens that will not stand i'm thinking he might lose an arm or a hand because it's like poetry i just i just have a really bad force intuition here that something you know, as if well, clearly, millions of fanboys suddenly cried out clearly (laughs) someone is hurt really bad and possibly dead you know, yeah. and it's like the, all this emotional stuff in the trailer. Someone's feeling hurt, like emotionally. So yeah. that would suggest a death. And if everybody makes it through this movie unscathed, I'll be very surprised. I'd be very surprised if nobody died I, in this movie. I would like, say, and, and, and you know, and that's the thing too is putting Ray at the front of this trailer, followed by Finn, tells me that she's the overall hero of this new saga. Yeah. Which tells me also that she could be heavily impacted by the fact that Finn dies in this movie. But it's I, like, it, but then you get into all this crazy conspiracy shit where it's like, but wait, if Chewie's the one who really died, then they put out that fucking folder with Chewie on the front just as like a way to, to, to without Han Solo. So it's like they do that on purpose to make you think Han Solo's going to die. But then you see the trailer and it's like, what is this thing? Is this kind of furry? Are they doing that? Or is it just a way to make you think that, oh, Chewie's going to die? But then yeah. you, meanwhile, you're thinking about, is it going to be Han or Chewie? I've got it. Hear me out here. G- right. g- give it time. Give it room to breathe. Starkiller base. They blow up the sun in the same system as Endor. So Endor is thrust into a Arctic night that you know, life will extinguish soon. But they're, they're on Endor. That force is on Endor, and that's Wicket's body. <laughs> Why the fuck would she be crying over that? No, it's wor- no I'll, t- I'll, get, I'll tell you who she's crying over. She's crying over Teak. Oh, oh Teak. Teak for life, man. I got it tattooed across my stomach the other day. <laughs> with, with numeral four? Yeah. Yeah, okay. In Orbesh. <laughs> now if you get that tattoo i will personally do something nice for you i don't know what it is <laughs> you'll write a letter to their mother 
apologizing. No. <laughs> I'm going to do something for you. I don't know what it is, but if you get Teak for Life and Arabesh tattooed across your stomach, oh my God. So, okay. So, if we're placing bets, Spill, you're saying. I'm saying Finn. Oh, jeez, I don't know how to. Are you saying, is it death or is it just a mutilation? See, that's the other thing. Like, if JJ wants to hit all the beats, it'll also be someone losing a hand. So maybe it is just Finn losing a hand. We should also mention there has been alleged leaks of cast listings for episode eight, but uh, they are all from places that have really shitty reputations. But the last one we saw was legit. Everybody is coming out alive, and everybody's in this movie. Now it could be a ruse too, but it's like Han Solo, Chewbacca. Well, actually, Peter Mayhew's name hasn't come up. Now Peter Mayhew is an interesting choice for who could possibly die here because the, he's got health issues. It's awesome yeah. that he's in this movie. But anybody it's, can play Chewbacca. Anybody can play Chewbacca. That's true. How they, dare you? No, <laughs> I agree. But <laughs> but this was the, this was their opportunity to have anybody play Chewbacca, but instead they chose Peter Mayhew, which is awesome. But yeah. they could also kill him. And they don't have Kenny Baker. That doesn't mean R2's well, blown up. They can judge character death already for Chewbacca. They can see how the community reacted to the death of Chewbacca. Yeah, so to kill him right away again would be like, a, it'd be rough. See, I, I, and I keep going in my head, and now I'm like, okay, JJ hit it. I, I keep going back to this. Like, well, he needs the Obi-Wan character to die. So if Han's been placed into this role for this movie, yeah. uh, it's got to be Han. It's like, there's so many ways this could go, but I think it's got to be one of the three of them. But I, I, I want to know. Die. I want to know I'll put, I'll, this I'll, far I'll out. Put that, I'll put it that way. Someone will die in this movie. But what is your bet? That's what I want to know. What is What, okay. what are you putting you gotta put gonna, stakes on? If I had to put money, Han. I mean, they've been talking about it since like 1983. Harrison Ford did say he wanted to see the treatments for the three films before he signed on. Well, I don't know. I think it's going to be Han too. So that's what you're putting, you're putting your money on Han? Money on Han. Yeah. And money on Han. You know, I will be shocked, but I won't be surprised right. if Finn doesn't make it out of this movie. You know, normally I would say my money's on Han, but in light of the casting and everything else, I'm putting money on Finn being mutilated, but still being alive. You know, you know what is interesting? This uh, the casting of uh, what's her face, Gugu, in uh, episode eight. <laughs> I, I don't know how to pronounce it. I mean, it's, um, it's G U G U. If it's not Gugu, okay, I don't Gugu. know what. It, all right, perfect. Gugu. She keeps on being described as the female lead. What does that mean? How does that compare to Daisy Ridley being another female who is a lead character in this movie? Is I'm it, not is, saying I'm not I'm not saying Ray's gonna die. Is it is it a twist that they all die because they blow up the fucking sun and then, and then the <laughs> world they freeze to death on the planet surface? I think to me, that is another indicator that maybe one of the so-called new big three aren't going to make it and they will establish a new third person in this next movie. Or she's the new Lando. She is the introduced fourth person. But I find it interesting that they keep on saying, like every article that I've read is she's been cast as the female lead in episode eight. Despite my hesitations about Death Star 3 in this movie, being a giant fucking planet and the, the nonsense of blowing up a sun and everything, if them in the woods with the snow is them on that Death Star planet after the sun has exploded and that's just like the weather reacting. That is pretty cool, I have to say. Yeah. That would be a pretty cool thing that you haven't seen in a Star Wars movie that I would I, I would give it that credit for being pretty pretty sweet. Hey, there were rumors for a long time that Jakku was the only planet in the movie and that it was just going to three different places. But oh, that... how can we can we talk about how like Sullust is is clearly in this movie? Yeah. What do you mean clearly? I... Like, it's in the fucking trailer, and it looks just like Sullust as represented in Star Wars Battlefront. Oh. 
And that's about right. I mean, every piece of like visual Solace from every old comic to other video games that took place on Solace. Well, we haven't like, seen the Imnub or uh, Admiral Akbar yet. I mean, why would they put them in the trailer? It's like I want to be right in the feels. I want to. I want to feel the emotion. And so we got these shots of Leia and Han, and it's all emotional. They're just like, <laughs> out of nowhere. We kind of ruin I'm the flow. Still, and they were getting knee and them instead of Lando. Yeah, oh, like, that, that is that is some bullshit. General Calrissian, it's not cool, man. Hero of the rebellion. Yeah. Did they even ask? I mean, for crying out loud, Niam Niam was rebels. just there. I'm gonna say it again. Niam Niam was just there. Didn't do anything. I mean, Billy D has said like, yeah, there's something, you know, he's, he's hinted, heavily yeah. hinted yeah. That, there's, that they're not done with him. And I mean, maybe he's in this movie. Like maybe. Oh man, if he's in the movie, please. I just, I, 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 I mean, cause it'd be like, well, why would you keep Lando a secret? Well, because he's only there for a second and they want it to be special. That's yeah. why. Yeah. 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 Oh, I want it so bad. I want the Patton Oswalt version too, where like Han sees Leia, wherever that's the base is. And then it's just like. Oh, Leia, it's been a long time. And then Lando comes out, well, what have we here? It's like <laughs> just Leia and Lando being together with the ultimate. Something about that switch, like you're not expecting it, but it makes perfect sense when you think about it. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> perfect sense, Doug? Perfect sense. Like, at the, like, <laughs> like no, 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 no. It goes back to a new hope where it's like, I don't know, okay, what do you think? Princess and a guy like me? No. <laughs> it's like just completely no. But a princess and a guy like Lando? Yes. yes. <laughs> you know it's Fine. true. Fine. Yeah. Well, on that charming note, we're going to say goodbye. So thank you so much for tuning into this episode of State of the Empire. We'll be back. We don't know when, but as the days draw near to The Force Awakens, you will hear from us again. Yeah, more and more frequently. So uh, thanks so much for listening. Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Doug. Bye, I'm Matt. Taking us out is a brand new track by MC Lars, featuring Brian Mazzaferi of I Fight Dragons. It's from Lars's latest record, Zombie Dinosaur, and it's called If I Were a Jedi. That would be hella awesome. This beat is my recital. I think it's very vital to use the force for good. Of course. Our Skywalker, that's my time. Here we go. If I were a Jedi, I could outwrap Buster Rhymes. Going in like Qui-Gon Jinn for the win, I could flow in quadruple time. And at the Canadian border, every time I went on tour, I'd be like, this is not the undeclared MC Lars merch that you're looking for. I could levitate like Yoda out of Raddy Kate Ebola. I could pick up girls, literally, even master the viola. I could read all of War and Peace in 10 minutes entirely in Russian just to say that I did it. I could even catch a golden snitch playing Quidditch. Wait, wrong move, innit? Pod racing up the 101, surpassing Golden Gate traffic. R2 on the roof of my Prius, dude. I could FaceTime holographic. I'd play for the A's and we'd win every game. Resurrect Mac Dre, do it all for the Bay. They'd all say, hey, Lars is neato. And always let me cut the line of El Ferralito. Two years ago, a friend of mine asked me to say some Jedi rhyme. So I said this rhyme I'm about to say. I fought the Sith, then it went this way. If I were a Jedi, bet I'd get all the ladies. I would mack it more than Dumbledore or Leo or Trades. If you try to strike me down, I'll just be more powerful. If I were a Jedi, that would be hella awesome. Singing do or do not, there is no try. Do or do not, there is no try. Do or do not, there is no try. If you don't believe it, you will fail every time. It's a trap. 
Thanks for listening to State of the Empire, presented by Nerdy Show. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes, like and follow us on SoundCloud, or give us your feedback at nerdyshow.com survey. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows in the Nerdy Show network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via Patreon. Any size contribution gets you exclusive outtakes, episodes, and images from across the network, and there's even more perks available. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and other awesomeness, visit nerdyshow.com. And be sure to follow Nerdy Show on all your favorite social networks. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.